forward of the meeting. Welcome to UFO Undercover with your host, Joe Montaldo. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of UFO Undercover. I hope everyone is having a beautiful evening or a beautiful morning, beautiful afternoon, wherever you are in our beautiful blue planet. I know for us in the deep south and, well, pretty much all the way up to the east coast, it's pretty nasty right now. It's uh, It's been raining and cold here most of the day. And the last I heard, our north shore of the lake is going to be getting snow flurries, and we might even get ice. Now, God, we're deep south. Come on, I'm New Orleans. We're not supposed to see ice down here, okay? That's the whole reason I live down here, so I don't have to deal with the slush and the mess and the, and the, and the muck. But... For my friends out there on the West Coast and some of my friends over in Europe and down in Australia, I hear y'all having pretty good weather, so I hope you're enjoying yourself. For all of us that have to endure, it's a good night to be in, sitting and listening to the show, crank up the fire, make a cup of hot coffee, some cocoa, something, sit back and listen. I have Jim Mars with me tonight, and we're going to open up the floor for a couple of topics. Jim's got a new book out, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about some other stuff. You know, Jim's been in to everything that you can imagine, especially in ufology, and, and we're going to open it up, but... I really got Jim on tonight for the same reason I had Richard on last week and a few others that are coming in the near future. Um, I'm kind of interested in what their views are on their current political environment, both in regular politics and politics dealing with ufology. Jim, how are you this evening, man? Joe, it's good to be with you again. Oh, I always love having you on. It. Yeah, um, you're one of the few people I know that actually speak their mind. You and well, Dennis Balfour, you know, he. Don't ever get Dennis going because he'll speak his mind. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> don't ask him a question if you don't want an answer. <laughs> I, I tell that to us. I said, yeah, dude, if you don't want to hear it, don't, don't, don't ask because he's going to tell you. He's kind of like Stan. There's a few of them out there. But in general, I find, Jim, that uh, most ufologists are kind of withdrawn. They, they, they're not really willing to put their, their name out on the line with what their personal beliefs are. And well, you know, there's, a, there's a reason for that, as you well know, Joe. Uh, you know, we now have the government documents going all the way back to the early 50s yep. when a decision was made at certain levels within the federal government that they were going to institute a program of denial and ridicule, okay? You, there's nothing there, folks, and if you keep saying there is, then uh, we, there might be something wrong with you upstairs. And that's been pretty effective, actually, in keeping a lot of people... And it's still, it's still in effect. There's still a lot of people today. Uh, I'm sure you get emails and, and calls from people that go, let me tell you what I saw or let me tell you what I know, but, hey, don't use my name, okay? You know, because that, that fear factor is still there. Uh, and i I got to say, I've had a lot of people tell me I probably hurt my career by uh, publishing the Alien Agenda back in the 90s, an overview of the UFO situation. Uh, it's now, I understand, the top-selling nonfiction UFO book in the world, but still it's never made the New York Times bestseller list, as four of my other books have, uh, because people just don't want to be, um, a lot of people don't want to be identified with UFOs. And yet, as you well know, and as probably most of your listeners know, this is a subject that's not hasn't gone away and is not going to go away. In fact... Uh, I think we're in some pretty exciting times here. I think, uh, I think 2009. Uh, well, I'm not going to say that we've turned the corner on UFO secrecy, but Joe, I, I really believe we're kind of at the corner, you know. And there, there may be some stuff coming out or happening in 2009 that might kind of wake up uh, uh, some of the people who've been closing their eyes and ears and minds wow. to the issue of UFOs. Well, you know, we've got John Podesto in there, and Hillary's in there again now. So yep. you, and uh, there's, uh, what's his name, too, that's in there. So there's three of them that have a vested interest in this. 
whether it's going to, you know, I was telling Stephen, I said, I, I do think because of the current press situation for ufology, I, I noticed we've been getting a lot more press in the last two years. And I do think there'll be some favorable stuff happen, but I can't get past this feeling of they're not going to disclose squat. Oh, well, no, no, no. <laughs> let, let, let me be quick to, to put out a caveat here. I, I don't think anybody in government is going to make the decision that uh, we're going to have some disclosure here. No, no, no. That's all up to the guys driving the UFOs. Uh, you know, if you stop thinking about it, all they got to do is just hover over a city for more than half an hour or so, <laughs> enough time for the news crews to get out there and start shooting video, and the, the game's up. Well, you know, a friend of mine told me uh, he, he works for the government, and he, he was telling me, he said, you know, Joe, I could be standing in, in D.C., and watch the UFO hovering over the White House, and he said, I still would think it was a Hollywood hoax. <laughs> he said, short of him personally having an uh, experience, there's nothing I could say or do that would make him change his mind about this subject. Now, he's a well-educated gentleman, and he's a nice guy. He's a little butthead sometimes when we're talking right. about stuff. But, um, you know, I told him, I said, close-mindedness, just, he, he takes it to a whole <laughs> well, he gets so now, mad at me. His man isn't closed. It's, uh, it's, oh, it's nailed down. It's just padlocked down. Look, got to even right. did a little well, caulking to seal it up. He's, he's, you know, I've run across a lot of those folks, and God bless them. That's okay. And and I realize is like you said, one could land right in front of them, and they're going to say, "Oh boy, I must have had some bad meat for supper." Mm -hmm. You know, they're just they're just not going to go for it, but. But, you know, as far I guess we'll always have those. There's still, you know, there's still the Flat Earth Society, and there's still, uh, uh, you know, people that just don't believe anything. Yeah. And that's okay. All but Elvis believers. Yeah. But uh, in general, I think you'd agree with me. Uh, don't you see, uh, especially this year, since the uh, Stephenville sightings down here in Texas, uh, back at the first of the year, and, I, and I, I've got a whole chapter on that divide, devoted in, a, in my new book, Above Top Secret. Um, and the thing that surprised me about Stephenville was not that they saw a mile-wide UFO gliding through the skies, but the fact that the low, especially the Texas media and even the national media uh, actually reported on it uh, without the usual snickering and eye-rolling. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I, I caught the CNN special, the five days. You know, they ran three, and then they had the, uh, the little disaster out there in India, and then so they didn't. They ran the two the following week. Right. They did a pretty good job. I mean, the little the the, the co-anchor girl was kind of funny. She was like, "You're kidding me, right?" <laughs> You're kidding yeah. me. But yeah. you know, they did portray it much serious. The Stephen Bissett interview that he did, you know, the sit-down interview he did on uh, CNN, I think it was like fifteen or twenty minutes, but right. it was it was taken pretty serious. Uh, the Larry King stuff's been taken Yeah, yeah I was going to say, there's been, what, four or five Larry King programs? And, yeah. uh, uh, and they they actually were presenting valid, uh, serious uh, evidence and information. I think when Brian Gumbel did his special, it, it, it helped out. And, uh, yeah. And I, I, even though no one was real happy with the outcome of the special, it, I do think it helped because it was a mainstream uh, anchor that took it on and did it and did it fairly well, You know, even though the ufologists weren't real happy. But do you remember the program that uh, Peter Jennings did yeah, like maybe two years ago. Yeah, I remember. And everybody kind of had high hopes for that, yeah. and yet it was kind of a, oh, well, uh, you know, they say this and that and the other thing. They give you the usual, come on, just to build an audience, and then they start knocking it down. But what was fascinating was the last thing Peter Jennings said was he kind of looked at the camera and he really got serious, and he said, you know, he said, this is the most fascinating investigation I've ever participated in, which 
that got me because I want to tell you, of course, as a uh, lifelong journalist and newsman, uh, for him to say that in front of his audience, that's tantamount to say, I think he's trying to say, folks, there's really something here. You need to pay attention to this. Of course, he's he was uh, still working for ABC. He was under the control of the producers and the editors and the, and the uh, suits. And uh, so, obviously, he didn't have total control of that program, and he probably didn't get to say what he really wanted to say, but he managed to say that at the end of it, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, actually, that's the thing. You know, you've got people doing this, and it is helping, and more and more people take it serious, but I still can't get past this thinking feeling that, regardless, unless God gets into the White House, we're not going to know. It's just for oh, me, no, I know they, that. No, they'll fight it tooth and toenail, but like I said, the decision's really not up to them. No, it's not. It's really more up to the extraterrestrial than it exactly. is up to them. But, you know, I have a thing about that since I'm an abduction researcher for 25 years. Right. For me, E.T.'s already told everybody they're interested in telling. So I don't I don't really foresee them coming out and going forward because i got to be honest with this. When it comes right down to it, I really think once it goes beyond the contactee, abductee, um, whatever you want to call them, the aliens really don't so much care if the rest of the planet knows. It's, it's just like the rest of the humans don't really matter to whatever it is that they're doing, so they well, don't really care if they know yeah. or not. Well, you know, it's like if we found out, say, for example, that there was life on Mars and that there's all these Martians living under the, the, the ground or something like that, uh, you know, and one or two came here and, and the president and the president of... Uh, Russia and, and you know various people were meeting with them. You know, average guy on the street. So what? What's he got to do with me? The bills still come in, right? Yep. So uh, yeah, I could I could perfectly well see that. Well, you know, here's a thought too. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what it seems to me and to a lot of people is that and number one, we're not dealing with just one race of yeah, extraterrestrials, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's all kinds of folks up there, and some of them uh, may be. Uh, benevolent towards us humans, and some of them may not be so benevolent. Now, uh, obviously, I'm not one who thinks that they're all up there and they're going to invade and they're going to blow up our cities and they're going to try to eat us, you know, like we saw in uh, War of the Worlds, uh, for the simple fact that if that was their agenda, they certainly should, would have done that long before now, right? Oh, I, I agree. I <laughs> So that's obviously not it, but then that doesn't mean that they're all our space brothers, right? Yeah, because it's the same thing. They would have already helped us if they were going to. Exactly. So I think what's going on there is that they, it, it would be just like trying to deal with the Earth. You've got different races, different, uh, different societies, uh, different mores, different cultures, and I think that uh, they have a problem trying to figure out. Now, let's assume that they have something akin to the cloaking devices uh, of Star Trek, right? So that, so a lot of the, maybe there's more of them around than we even know because most of the time they're cloaked, and the only times that we see them is whether it's, say, maybe the weather conditions or they forgot to turn on their cloaking device or whatever. And so there's a lot more, but then that also leads to the possibility that they're able to cloak themselves and maybe appear in human form. And, of course, I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners are well aware of the, of the idea of shape-shifting reptilians or whatever, you know. So let's assume that they either have some natural biological ability to uh, portray themselves 
Earth as something that, other than they are, or they have some sort of technology to do that. Okay, now you've got all these races maybe interacting down here on Earth, but they're using these cloaking devices and or these shape-shifting abilities, and so even the ETs themselves are not confident in knowing exactly who's human, who's not, what race it is, maybe that uh, is one of the reasons behind all this secrecy. Nobody wants to say, well, we're here, because then, you know, the other side knows they're there, and then uh, or they can't point the finger at the others because they're not real sure themselves. Yeah, well, they're, they're, I'm sure for, for the three major ones that we investigate, or I should say the five major ones we investigate, I'm sure they got their own personal reasons why, and then I'm sure there's reasons that seem to cross over the different boundaries, because we know, at least for the humans, the reptilians, and the greys, since they're, they're kind of crossing over each other's feet and territory, we right. know they're aware of each other. We, oh, of course. You know, those, those we obviously have, they've got some deal where they can work together, but yet seem to manage to stay out of each other's way at the same time. So. Well, you know, now that you mentioned that, Joe, what do you think of the uh, concept that uh, that they have the world divided up uh, by certain races. Certain certain ETs interact with Chinese. Other races interact with the Australians. Others interact with the the uh, Europeans, and others still interact with the United States. Do you but think there's any validity to that? To an extent, because I'll tell you what I learned. You know, we've done more than seven thousand abduction cases now, uh-huh. and one of the things of it is, is I noticed that at first that's what I thought. I thought exactly what you said, and I. Then I got to realizing that, you know, wait a minute now, in this part of the country, we seem to have an enormous amount of reptilian contact. In this part of the country, we seem to have an enormous amount of great contact. Uh-huh. And, you know, and then, I, then I could actually, I hate to say it like this, because in a lot of ways, we can almost break it down to a city, uh, where this particular city, like we'll use New York, for example, since it's got the most abductions reported of anywhere on the planet, as far as I know of, uh, maybe with the exception of Mexico City. Right. Um, we know primarily uh, most of the aliens seen there are great. There, there has been a couple of reports of humans and a couple of reports, but they're very slim and very scattered. But overall, the majority of the contacts seem to be from the great. Um, I find that real interesting. I, you know, I, there has been times where people have described having more than one type present, and we, we kind of throw them into the, and for lack of a better word, the communicator type of, contactees, the ones like Marion Delicato or Catalina Wilson or Katarina Wilson or Jim Sparks or Suzanne Hanson or any of the well-known ones, those are the ones that seem to be out there communicating whatever this message is. Uh, even though it seems to be different for each one of them, they all seem to be out there communicating this message. And, you know, they'll tell you where they lived and what type of aliens got them and so on. You know, we, uh-huh. you know, and then, of course, there's famous Whitley Strieber, who's up there in upstate New York. And, right. you know, we're familiar with what was going on with him, too. So... You know, you have all of this, and, and it just weirded me out because, like, I had some friends out in um, New Mexico tell me about some experiences they were having. And right at, right at the New Mexico-Texas line, which I found really, really interesting because we had some contactees in Texas, a little bit deeper into Texas, giving us the same scenarios, the same things were happening to them. And so we realized from about, um, about 200 miles west of Austin all the way up to about Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's one particular type of aliens in that area. And it went like 99.95% of the, the, the reports are this type of alien, in this type of ship, because we can actually break it down what types of ship are what, what types of aliens now, because we've got enough reports from contactees to kind of have an idea of which one belongs to who. So, 
Now we, we can corroborate that there's this type of alien in this area with this type of ship being seen. And when you say it's a type of alien and then the same ship, that type of ship that goes with that alien is being seen in the area, it's kind of like a confirmation. Yeah. And uh, I've just been finding this all fascinating in the last 10 years because this is not information that we've had before the last 10 years. Right. You know, it's just stuff that we've really just gotten our hands on and we've done a lot of comparison studies. And not just with our own research. We've used Daryl Sims' research. We've used Yvonne Smith's research. We use David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins research, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it, it's like a big pool of data for us now. And with our own contactees and their research, you can really kind of break this down to, you know, you got like saucer type here, the elongated saucer type here, the the triangle types here, you know, the the and we know that certain types of uh, probes from those egg shaped ones to the orb shaped ones belong to different types of aliens. So. Today, the research is much more in-depth, and there's a lot more information, and there's a lot more contactees coming forward. Right. Uh, but you still, Jim, you still got, you know, one in three that are telling you the or well, probably one in ten that are actually telling you the truth. Um, I, I don't know what it is with people. There's a lot of people I did it that want to hoax being a contactee, and there's a lot of people... I don't know how to say it quite, but there's a lot of that, people well, out there disturbed. Yeah, <laughs> that that really they think they're abductees, but they're not. And, yeah. and, and there's usually another reason for why why they think this. But I'm not a psychologist, so I have to tell them, you know, oh, guys, you're not our contactee. You need to seek some other type of help other than <laughs> us. There's nothing we can do for you. Yeah, but, you know, and, you know, but hey, you know, I do know a couple of good psychologists, and I will refer them, but. Um, I would rather not be involved in that because there's something underlying there that is just not nice. And you know, I don't, I don't want to bring something out that I can't control, and I don't want to mess somebody's life up all more than it already is. So, exactly. Um, but that's like, true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, they they do need some help, but then I think some of the psychologists need help. Oh yeah, they do. Particularly the woman that said, "Oh, there's no." Uh, Alien abductions, it's all sleep apnea, you know. Now, did you catch when UFO hunters went to um, back to Aurora, Texas and went in the well? Yes, in fact, I wanted to bring that up uh, because, you know, that was they were here back in the summer, and I participated in that with them, and they shot, they shot me and interviewed me all day long and then used about 15 seconds That's in their program and got my name wrong, called me James, and then didn't even acknowledge oh. that I was a journalist, an author. They just said a local researcher or something like that. So, uh-huh. but what's and so I, you know, back then uh, I knew what their findings were and I was excited, but they made me promise that I would not say anything, you until know, until after they had aired the program, and I understand that, yeah, and it's fair. theirs, it's their money they spent, so I agreed, and, and I didn't, but now the program's aired, <clears throat> and I, and even though, of course, I realized they had to fill up an hour's worth of airtime, yeah. and so they had to kind of sidestep around, and they drew the whole thing out, and oh, there's something moving in the well, oh, it's a snake, you know, well, okay, big deal. <laughs> But you know, if you if you'll cut through all that and think about what they actually did, uh, essentially they have proven up, if, at least in my mind, the Aurora spaceship crash, which is, uh, I think, I think more important than most people realize I because I look at the Aurora spaceship crash story as a smoking gun in the UFO issue because you know for so long, well. I, of course, for many years, you had people saying, well, they're just hallucinations. They're just some sort of a mass psychosis, you know. Well, you don't hear that anymore, do you? And that's because 
uh, starting in the 80s, I guess, with the advent of the personal camcorder and video camera. And now kids are running around that can take pictures with their cell phones, you know, and every week there's more and more photographs popping up, a fewer hoaxes, a fewer just fuzzy lights. But there's some, almost every week there's a pretty decent shot of the UFO. And, of course, obviously you cannot take a picture of a hallucination or of a psychosis. So you don't hear that anymore. But what you still hear is, that, well, it's just misidentified satellites and, and aircraft and maybe even secret uh, government test craft, which, of course, is all plausible. But I always thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a really documented UFO case uh, before any of that was in the air? And we have that with the Aurora spaceship crash story, which happened in 1897. And this was six years before the Wright brothers flew at Kitty Hawk, and six years before the first recorded powered balloon flight in the United States. So there was nothing man-made in the air here in the United States. <clears throat> they were testing some balloons in Europe, but just they were very rudimentary, very crude, and didn't stay up very long. And so... The story, of course, is is that uh, on April the 17th, 1897, this silver cigar-shaped object uh, seemed to be in trouble. It started settling towards the ground. It struck the windmill of Judge Proctor at, in Aurora, Texas, blew up with a shattering explosion, went to pieces, scattering aluminum-looking material all around. And in the story that day, it stay, that was published in the Dallas Morning News, which is still in publication, and the Old Fort Worth Record, which was a forerunner of my own newspaper, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, it stated that the pilot was not an inhabitant of this world. Well, that's pretty clear. So, and all that was in the paper at the time. Now, the debunkers, of course, have tried to say, well, it was all a hoax. Uh, nothing happened. Uh, Judge Proctor did not have a windmill. So there wasn't anything for it to hit. Uh, it was all a hoax, and they never buried anybody in the Aurora Cemetery. Well, what the History Channel investigation showed by scientific means is that using ground-penetrating radar, that there was a grave at the grave site in the cemetery, right where everybody always said it was, and where there was this strange little headstone that I saw all the way back in 1973 before it got stolen, and, and uh, we've never seen it since and that they found the base for the windmill. Except, according to my information, it was not a windmill. It was a windlass, which is a, 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 a derrick, a tower that you have the uh, sump on to operate the pump, which is essentially the same thing as a windmill, except it just didn't have the bladed windmill on top of it. So that got confirmed. But the clincher is... They found little globs of melted, of what seemed to be molted, melted aluminum, but it was not the exact composition of modern aluminum. And uh, it was embedded, these little globs were embedded in rocks and in trees around the area where the crash supposedly took place, which indicates that there was a tremendous explosion at some point. And I guarantee you, there's been no explosion there since at least the early 1940s because I interviewed Brawley Oates, who 
uh, originally bought the place in the early 40s and uh, was still alive in 1973. And uh, he, he said, no, there'd been no explosion there that he knew about. So as far as I'm concerned, this pretty well firms up and, uh, and uh, shows the reality of the Aurora spaceship uh, crash, which occurred six years before there was anything man-made in the skies of North Texas. You know, somebody just asked me, what did you think about uh, aluminum content in the water in the well? And, uh, you know, that was interesting. They said it was very high, the content in the... Right. Well, that's because, uh, according to the story, all this aluminum, a lot of this the debris from the spaceship was tossed down that well. Now, when uh, Brawley Oates took over the place and tried to get that well and tried to use that well as an operating well, he cleaned it out. So they went down there, they dragged out all those pieces of aluminum and metal or whatever it was and they got rid of it and that's uh, that's a, a big question i've always had is yeah, where did it go yeah and i live here i live here maybe eight miles or so from from aurora i mean this uh, i moved i've been out here for about 30 years now and there were people that went to my church who were kids here and they all talked about it one time or another they had pieces of the wreckage and yet when you try to find somebody that actually has a piece now, oddly enough, it never seems to be there, you know? Yeah, you always got to wonder about that kind of stuff. Man. Well, that I think I can tell you what the deal is, and I think it goes all the way back to the time that this happened. Uh, I was uh, filming a uh, documentary on the Aurora spaceship crash, and we were shooting up around the Wise County Courthouse in Decatur, and this young man and his, and his, his young boy uh, came by and said, what are you all doing? And we said, well, we're just doing this documentary about the Aurora spaceship crash. And he said, oh, well, I know all about that. He said, my grandfather was there. I said, oh, really? So I sat him down and did an interview with him. And he told the story about his father was with some friends working early that morning. They heard this explosion, felt the ground shake, you know. And uh, this was before we had sonic booms and things like that. And so it was, it was like, what is that? So they all ran into town, and he said there was this, this metal wreckage lying all around and pretty well described the scene as uh, was described in the paper and as that other people had talked about it. But he added one little thing that really perked my ears up. He said, yeah, my grandfather said that, he said, within hours, representatives of every law enforcement agency in Texas were showing up. And I said, well, what did they do? He said, well, my grandfather said that you know, some of them were going around saying, okay, folks, it's all over, you know, go back to your homes. He said the rest were loading up all the wreckage and wagons and carting it off. So, see, it seems like there was an early-day crash retrieval. Oh, I'm sure there was, or whatever it was. I'm, I'm, you know, our government's been top-head, top-secret things going on since it's been conceived. <laughs> exactly, and I think that has continued because I have talked to people, and I now realize that there were citizens up here in this part of the country who encountered government agents in the Aurora Cemetery in the 1950s, in the 1960s, in the 1970s, and I know personally about that one because we found the pieces of metal showed up on a metal detector, uh, and then after the headstone was taken, uh, the aviation writer for the Times-Herald uh, called me up and said, meet me at the Aurora Cemetery, and I did, and he said, look at this, and he ran the metal detector over the little grave, and there was no readings. And I said, what the heck? 
because the grave obviously had not been exhumed or totally disturbed, you know. So he said, look, we got down on our hands and knees. There were three little holes that had been drilled in the earth right at the points where we had located the metal in the grave. So in other words, somebody had located the metal under the ground and then used some sort of drill to drill down in there and then use a grappling hook or some kind of grapple and withdrew the metal out of the grave without disturbing the grave. And I asked Bill, I said, I said, who do you think did that? He said, I think the government did that. And I, I had to agree. Yeah. They, um, somebody just posted in the room something that Bill Burns had said on about a row. Oh, he said it was a dirigible. When did he say that? Uh, oh, November 18th, 2000. Oh, damn, they got it down to the quote. <laughs> That's one thing I love about these virtual auditoriums, man. They, they do their homework. I think I think Bill Burns did say something. Yeah, it says uh, it about says, a dirigible. Uh, November eight, two thousand eight. To quote the words, uh, he said that he thought the the pilot was a human pilot and that the craft was some type of uh, rigid hull balloon. Uh, yeah. Um, well, listen, knowing knowing Bill Burns as I do, and having spent a long time talking yeah, with him about all that, uh, there's two things there. Number one. Uh, he, I'm not sure. I think he may have. I think that may have been misinterpreted or, or misunderstood. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Bill Burns did say something on the program right along those lines. But as my, it was my recollection that it was like some people say it could have been, or it could have been this, or you know. I, I don't think he was trying to say emphatically that that was the case. And if it did come out sounding like that, it may have been uh, edited to make it sound that way because. I, after talking to Bill Burns, I don't think he is of the uh, uh, firm opinion. I, he's, you know, he's like me. He's open to any new evidence and any uh, well, I know anything you can back up. But I don't think he is totally uh, locked into the belief that that was strictly. Well, a, I know when I talked to him in 2007, he thought it was some type of UFO. Yeah, now, I can't say for 2008 because I haven't talked to him this year, or maybe it was right. early part of 2008 when I talked to him, but. I haven't talked to him in, in the rest of the year, and here we are almost in 2009. So, I mean, if he changed his mind, I don't know. But I do know uh, he, he did a show. I think it was this year. He did a program with me early this year. Um, and when we talked about it, I got the impression from him that he thought this was something else. Now, everybody's entitled to change their mind. So That's I, true. You know, and, and I don't know. He may have. or But I think, I think what happened there is I think he may have said something along those lines, but I think he was just uh, advancing some possibilities. I don't think that was his emphatic belief. Well, you know, I know Bill's tough. We've talked about it a couple of things, and I've talked with him a couple of times, and, you know, he, you know, he does a lot of stuff. So, um, But usually when he does stuff like that, when he makes quotes like that, if, he, if he's going to change his mind or something, he usually does like everybody else does and either goes on show and explains why or yeah. writes an article or a book. Or, or, or at least catches you know. his uh, words. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard to say, but, you know, like I said, everybody's entitled to their opinions. Now, you know, I've seen somebody had sent me a, a, a message earlier they wanted me to ask you about. They had said uh, that they didn't believe that Obama would disclose because of his religious beliefs. Do you think there's any precedent to that? I mean, I, I never really even thought about religion coming into this. I mean, at his level. I thought about it as the social level, but not right. at the president's level. And, well, you know, the problem is we don't even really know what his religion is. <laughs> That's a good point. The only thing that sticks in my mind is, is in his... Uh, it's his autobiography, Dreams from My Father. Uh, he made the comment, if the going gets tough, I will side with the Muslims. So, you know, and of course a lot of people, especially anti-Obama people, have tried to style him as a Muslim. 
Uh, and, and then, of course, he says he's a Christian, but who knows? But I'm thinking he wishes he didn't get involved in this. Cap. I know it. You I know, know I've it. seen him after his first briefing, and it was so funny because a couple of the White House press corps had seen him as well and made comments. They said the man looks stunned. I will use the lady at the White House's term. She said he was ghostly white-looking when he came out of George's <laughs> office. And, uh, but, you know, he probably, until that point, really didn't know what was going on. That's right. You know, and, and George and, said, and now, and said and look, now, no, he doesn't really know what's going on. He only knows that he doesn't know what's going yeah. on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there was some enlightenment there. And I noticed since that meeting that Obama has changed his mind on several Oh, things. well, he's backed up on virtually everything. For one thing, you know, his whole campaign was based on change. Oh, the change. And yet uh, what's happening? All he's bringing these same old, same old leftists into office. They should have just gave him. You know? I said this the other day. If we were going to bring all the Clinton's people back, we should have just let Hillary be the damn Exactly. Right. Why not just let yeah. Hillary win and she, you know, part and parcel? No. It's amazing, and so back to your question about religion. Yeah. I'm not even sure what his religion is, but I feel I feel fairly certain in my own mind that he is not super religious. Okay, yeah. uh, I don't think not he would. He I don't think he would whatever his religious beliefs are, I don't think he would allow that to interfere with his judgment any more than Bush would allow his. Religion, you know, if if, if you know, Bush, uh, he's a he's a devil worshiper. Well, right? exactly. <laughs> it's obvious that he's not a fervent Christian, or he wouldn't be off around the world killing everybody. That's true. <laughs> well, somebody told me one time we were talking because I've always called him Baby Bush, and one of my friends tells me one day he said, "Well, you know, Joe, Daddy Bush is Satan, so doesn't that make him the son of Satan?" I'm like, you know, no, I, I know the man had some problems and he made some mistakes. I understand. Well, he's a call he's Satan now. Come on. In fact, in, in, in almost every state, it's known as a public record. 
is. So what? What's the problem here? Okay, and yet he won't authorize them to. And they, in fact, the governor of Hawaii has ordered it all locked away and has posted guards at hospitals and won't let anybody in. Won't, you know, and yet before all that happened, they checked with all the hospitals in Honolulu, and none of them have a record of a of a Barack Obama being born in August of 1961. So wait a minute. Well, what's going on here? Well, the, what's going on is apparently he is not qualified under the Constitution of the United States to be president. And just think what's going to happen if it drags on and on and he's inaugurated and he gets sets out with his administration and they push legislation through Congress and they pass laws and he sets policy and maybe he sends us into Iran or you know, does anything in the foreign field. And then it turns out that under the Constitution of the United States he was not qualified to be president. That's going to null and void everything he does. It's going to cause a constitutional crisis that's going to really, could possibly, conceivably wreck this country because all the Obama supporters are going to say, well, yeah, but he was legally voted on. You know, we, you know, you got to just forget the Constitution and we'll just go ahead and let him be president. Well, if you do that, then we have ceased being a nation of law. We are a nation of just whoever gets the popular spotlight. Well, screw that anyway, because if, if we were going to let a foreigner run the country, they would have voted for our California governor out there who has an 86% approval rating. Exactly. They, he would have won presidency as a landslide. Even exactly. as a Republican, he would have won with a landslide. We'd have the presidator. <laughs> That's what we would have, too. But, oh, we don't want him running, because we don't want him running the country. Yeah, he might go terminate somebody. <laughs> uh, I don't so, know. And, and, and then, then the ones that say, well, okay, if we're going to maintain, if we're going to keep being a nation of law, then we have to change the Constitution, which means they would probably have to have a convene a constitutional convention. And, uh, Joe, can you imagine what kind of circus that would turn into? Every special interest group, every lobbyist would be there saying, well, let's do away with the Second Amendment. Let's amend the Fifth Amendment that says, yeah, you can make people tell them themselves. And, you know, in fact, actually, you know, they, they need to amend the Fifth Amendment because the Fifth Amendment says you cannot be compelled to give evidence against yourself. And yet every year we are compelled by threat of fine or jail to submit a 1040 form. And if they don't like what you put on that 1040 tax form, then they come and prosecute you uh, uh, in the tax courts. Well, that's a clear violation of the Fifth Amendment. You're being compelled to give evidence against yourself. Well, you know, speaking of that, I, I'm finally glad to see our friend Joe the Plumber get smart because, uh, you know, he's been getting his ass handed to him for the last couple of months ever since he made those, that statement. And uh, he got smart, got a lawyer, and he's suing the federal government and Barack Obama because he said Barack abused his powers by coming after him. He used uh, campaign money to go after an <laughs> uh, ordinary citizen, and, and they can prove this. So it won't, it won't keep me from being president, but it's sure going to cost him a big chunk of change. Well, you know, the thing is, that's the only problem. And they, everybody says, well, yeah, but he's elected. Let's go. Hey, he was barely elected. He got, what, 55%, 56% of the vote which means, you know, he's only 6% over the halfway mark. So that means that, you know, 44% uh, of the country did not vote for him. And so I tell you, I think there's going to be problems all the way down. Oh, but, of be. course, if you've read my latest book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, you'll understand that for eight years we've been under national socialism. 
and they have put into place all of the legislation, all of the Constitution evading laws uh, that could set up a empire or a, a in German a Reich uh, in this country, and they were getting a little too obvious. Everybody with any sense was beginning to go, wait a minute, this is getting out of hand. So in November we swapped National Socialism for Marxist Socialism. So now we're going to have four years of Marxist socialism, and when everybody, when the economy tanks and everybody's broke and nobody can get any credit, <clears throat> nobody can sell their home for what it's worth, and we're on the economic ropes, then by 2012 they're going to be ready to vote in the Fuhrer. Oh, yeah, you know that. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a sad, sad, you know, I was watching the other day, and I actually kind of feel for Barack, because he's a young guy, you know, he's politics and going, and he... He does seem like he has some goals that he wants to try to help. I mean, some places he's obviously a socialist. But my problem for him is, is I watch Nancy Pelosi. She's not going to give him his way. Matter of fact, she don't even look like she likes him. Every time I see him talk, they, they get into it. He's already got trouble inside of his cabinet he's appointed because these are all people that, um, uh, you know, don't get along with each other. And under Bill, they did because they respected Bill, and, and Bill kind of rode roughshod over him. I don't think Obama has what it takes to run well, roughshod. You can't actually, run roughshod no. over Hillary. Actually, if you stop and look, the people that he's naming are globalists. Okay, so we're going to be we're we're moving right along according to their agenda, and uh, you know, uh, Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel, he's hardcore Zionist. Okay, and and of course, that's the Zionism was created by these globalists, the same people that created socialism communist socialism in Russia, the same people that funded Hitler and national socialism in Germany, and they also are uh, the uh, leading uh, core of Zionism. You've got Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, who's attended Bilderberg meetings and didn't just attend them. That'd be one thing. And You know, you could go, for instance, Joe, you could go and attend one meeting of the Ku Klux Klan and just stand around and look and walk off, not sign up. Oh, I'll make you a Ku Klux Klan member, right? Well, but I met he, David Duke. He ran. He won. He was a. I live in Louisiana. He. Uh, yeah. He was. He won. What was he? He was. He was some representative down here. I actually met him at a bar. Played darts at. Uh, yeah. I was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> I was looking around, seeing if there was going to be a hit or something. Really. So, so, but Hillary didn't just attend the meeting. She was at the front door greeting everybody, mm -hmm. which is their time-honored way of introducing their proteges. Uh, you got uh, Secretary of Defense Bob Gates. He's a big CFR member, Council on Foreign Relations. Homeland Security Janet Napolitano, uh, that's Council on Foreign Relations. Susan Rice, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission. National Security Advisor James Jones, Council on Foreign Relations. Secretary of the Treasury, Council on Foreign Relations. Director of the National Economic Council, Lawrence Summers, Council on Foreign Relations. So the same globalists are running the show. And if Obama, if he is a really good guy, and I'm not saying he's not, I don't know, okay? But what I'm saying is, if he is really a good guy and tries to take steps that uh, would benefit the people of the United States, which is what everybody's hoping, uh, unfortunately, he's going to run up against these globalists, just like John F. Kennedy did, and... The uh, his ending may be uh, tragically the same, and that and that that's a worry too. You know that that's a, that's a actually a bad worry that something might happen to him. There's, you know, there's a lot going on here, and, and if he does truly decide to stand up for the country, 
Right. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure his own party will take him out. Exactly. It's um, you know they you know somebody told me what's the difference the difference between Democrats and Republicans. I said there used to be. I said in today's world they're not. I said they all want our rights. I said both right. sides just want our rights. I said that's all they're after. Well, you know there was a lobbyist named George Green years ago uh, in Washington. He was a big powerful guy, and he has told the story of being flown out to Aspen, Colorado, which is a well-known New World Order uh, hotbed, and there he was brought into a meeting with Paul Volcker, who at that time was the head of the Federal Reserve System, and Henry Kissinger. And they were trying to recruit George Green to be a campaign uh, finance guy for Jimmy Carter. And it, and it kind of shocked George Green because he said, well, wait a minute, you guys are wanting me to raise money for Jimmy Carter, a Democrat, he said, and yet you guys are big Republicans. And he said, Paul Volcker leaned over to him and said, don't worry about it, son. We control them both. <laughs> and that, truth. my friends, is the truth. Oh, to the person that just sent me that I am about the KKK, look, guys, um, for someone like me, I'm not white enough. I'm Italian and Cherokee. They're not going to accept me. So. <laughs> no. Some of y'all might be able to join. I mean, if, y'all, if that's what you want. But, I mean, they, you know, I'm just not a white enough boy for them, apparently. But, you know, that's just one of the things, guys. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> I'm not sure what they even. You know, somebody asked me that the other day. He's saying something about being a white person, and I said, "What the hell is a white person?" I said, yeah, exactly. Yes. What I is said, a white person? I said, "Maybe if you went to Europe, you might find a white person." I said, "I don't think there really is any white people left in the." I said, "They're either got some Spanish or or you know Asian or well, God knows what." But God knows what. I mean, that's in the, this country, the melting pot of the world for nothing. In this country, I don't think if you're a purebred, then you just moved in this country. That's how it is. I mean, if you right. if your family's been here for a while, oh no, you're you're a mixed breed. Just get over it. That's just how it is. That's what makes America America. Because I don't that's... know though, Joe. I got to tell you, man. Every year goes by, my beard and my hair gets whiter and whiter. I, I'm beginning well, to look like Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Yeah, I know. So maybe I maybe I am turning into a white person. <laughs> oh, uh, ow! They, um, sorry about that. I'm trying to break something, but. Oh Lord, it just cracks me up some of the stuff that goes on today. It really does. And, and well, it, it would naive. be funny, except it's not so funny when you see that uh, you know our our industries are shutting down, uh, the banks are all folding, and uh, uh, jobs you know joblessness is rising, and you know it's it's a lot of people are hurting this Christmas time. A lot of people are hurting, and that's a shame. Yeah, it is. It is a shame. Oh, it's our. California State Director's birthday yesterday. Well, happy birthday there, Eula, didn't it? <laughs> Let's see how the whole world got to know it's your birthday, ain't I, sweetheart? <laughs> well, I tell, you, I tell you, whoever takes over the uh, White House, here's what they need to worry about. You know, uh, earlier this year, <clears throat> I've been in touch with the MUFON people here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Ken Cherry is the director and a friend of mine, really nice guy. They got hold of the radar data from Stephenville, and among other things... Uh, there was recorded a very large object that was on a flight path directly heading towards the Crawford Ranch of President Bush at a speed of 37 miles an hour. Now, you don't have to be an aerodynamics expert to know that there is nothing unnatural (laughs) that can stay in the air at 37 miles an hour. Yeah, it's got to be a dirigible or or a UFO. You know what I find interesting, and I noticed MUFON dropped the ball on this. 
Um, you know that uh, government's working on a couple of new projects. One, they're working on that new blimp that they're going to put up at the top of the atmosphere to put the new telescope on uh-huh. so they can bring it up and down. This thing is like a mile and three-quarters across. Most people don't realize it's because it's going to compress when it gets up there. There's also a refueling station that both the Navy and the Air Force are working on, and they're almost two miles across. They're high-altitude permanent refueling stations. What I found interesting is one of the manufacturers, I think, is 95 miles from Stevensville. And I really thought, because, you know, when I heard the guy describing what he seen Stevensville, slow-moving, silver, long, uh, moving along at a very slow pace, and then when I heard the description of this thing, I, it, it, I'm not saying that's what it is, because I wasn't there and I didn't see it myself. But I, I do think that this should have been considered before everybody flew off the hamlet. Now, I don't, I, I don't want to say nothing now because, you know, Stevensville was a lot of good press for ufology, so I really don't want to see him get in trouble over it. It's just I, I really felt like they dropped the ball here and, and didn't check everything out thoroughly because this isn't, you know, it, it's secret, but it's not top secret, and a lot of this information is available even on the Internet. And uh, I, I didn't understand why no one caught it. Uh, what, what way I caught it is one of the guys who worked there actually called me on my cell phone at work to tell me about it. Sure. He said, well, you know, we do have them in the air from time to time. He said, I can't tell you per se if we had something in the air that day, he said, but, you know, it sounded a lot like what we're working on. Which and, is like uh, an aerial platform? Yeah, it's basically what it is, and they do test them. And, you know, now what bothers me about this is he said, now, like I said, I've never seen one of these, he said you should be able to hear the engine. Uh, unless it's, you know, like five or six miles up, he said, then you might not hear it. He said, but judging from the distance that he said, the people said it was in the atmosphere. He said, you should have been able to hear the turbines. They're running um, um, turboprops. And uh, he said, you should have been able to hear them. Ooh. And he, there's another type of engine on there they use. He said, it's, it's classified, but uh, you wouldn't hurt it anyway because it's only for high-altitude movement. It's not for low-altitude. They use regular turboprop for low-altitude. Um, and he said, you know, these are, these are things that they're going to be using. He said, you're going to start seeing them probably in about 10 years on a regular basis. He said, because, you know, the Navy and the Air Force want to make it to where they can go anywhere in, and hit anywhere in the world without having to worry about refueling. They can just go up to it. And they want to put them at almost the very top of the atmosphere so only very advanced cultures can do it. In other words, Chinese don't have jets that can fly up there. We do. Russians do. I don't know if anybody else does. So they're, they're really setting up for a new deal for the next, you know, the next century. And, I, and it's just one of those things that... And, it, and like I said, it, it's secret, but it's not classified where you can't find information on mm-hmm. uh, The refueling platforms and the, uh, the telescope platform are, are well-known, actually, and they've been being worked on for a while. And I was just surprised that no one caught it or no one said anything. And, and like I said, it, it doesn't mean that's what it was because there's been other sightings in other locations. Out right. There. So you can't, but, you know, I do think they should have checked this out more thoroughly and at least encountered this because if someone besides myself say, like, a debunker got hold to it. Well, they're gonna they're gonna rip them apart. You know, they're just gonna come right out and say that's what it was, and it, and it really sounds like that's what it was, and and it, it blows the whole case out of the water. This way, if they would have mentioned this in early on in the investigation, it wouldn't have been as damaging if it comes out later on, especially if it hits something like CNN or Fox or something like that. So it just aggravates me when they do stuff like that. You know, I. I I have a degree in avionics and electronics. I actually have a bachelor's now in it. And um, I just, some of the, you know, when I listen to people describe air movement, it's like second nature for me. But one of the first things I learned in the U.S. Navy was aircraft recognition. And I, and I really think that all the organizations, ours included, by the way, 
should be the first thing we teach our members is aircraft recognition because then that rules out a lot of mistakes and a, and a, and a lot of stuff. That, and, and if we teach it, you know a lot of other just civilians will pick it up. Because you remember, I, I know you're, you're, you're a little older than me, so you should remember this, but you remember back in the day, uh, right after World War II, coming into the 50s and 60s, people in general kind of had aircraft recognition. They could look up in the sky and tell you what they were seeing flying. In today's society, unless you've served in the military, you probably couldn't do aircraft recognition. You know, Joe... That's a good point. I really hadn't thought about that. But, you know, being a kid in the 40s, man, P-38, P-51 Mustang, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and then on into the Cold War, you know, F-86, Sabre Jet, a MiG-19, you know, I knew, yeah, all, you I knew them. all that stuff. You knew them. And, and not yeah. just you, everybody did. And, everybody did. And even when I was growing up, you know, as a kid in the 60s, 70s, they, they knew them, but come about the age. It just seemed to be a lost art in our country. And it worries me because, you know, we get a lot of reports, and people give me reports that are obviously not UFOs. They just didn't think it through or, or they wasn't paying enough attention. or, But they're obviously not UFOs. It doesn't even take any real hard research. <laughs> I know, that. I know. I can't tell you how many people I've had that say, yeah, I think I saw this UFO. It was, it was night. It was very bright. It was just hanging there stationary. Yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, which direction was it? Well, it was to the west. Oh. I go, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> don't call me, I'll call you. Oh, yeah, here, why don't you go buy a star map or one of those star <laughs> dials, and you can figure out what that was. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, I, I hate to criticize, because I want people to report. That's why I That's hate right. to criticize. That's right, I, I'd rather have them make a mistake than not report something. Yeah, and, you know, I just tell them, wait, when they're making a report, think about what they're saying. You know, one of the things, and we, we preach this on the show, you know, look for something to compare it with, power lines, telephones, trees, whatever, just... Right. Look for something in the sky that you can get some distance, judge some distance, and some and some size by. Yeah, or, or just or, just hold your thumb up and compare yeah, it to compare. your fingernail or yeah, something. Yeah, just just something so the research ahead. But you know, I'll get people to call it. Well, you know, um, we seen a blue light in the sky. Was it moving? Well, I couldn't really tell. What the hell you want me to do with that? <laughs> you know, that's fine. Report it, but don't expect me to do anything because I, I mean, there's a blue light floating in the sky. Right. Come on, I. I, I this, you know, and and I don't want to be rude about it, but you know, we got a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of other research, and you know, I got to be honest with you. To me, talking to the contactee is more than talking, and more important than talking to somebody who's seen a red light. Cause right. I, I I do think UFO research is important, but I don't think that's what's going to get us the answer. No, uh, no, I, and I've been at this for a long time. In fact, I can I can actually prove how far back I go because. Uh, not too long back, I was cleaning out the attic, and I came across a uh, watercolor painting that I had done as a young guy um, and based on news accounts coming out of Leveland, Texas, uh, where a huge silver cigar-shaped object had sat down on the highway, and all the cars that approached, their, their engines would stop, and they were just stuck there, and they all got out, they're all standing there looking at it. And a few people managed to get on away, you know, their, before their cars died. They could look back and see what was happening. So they went in and called the, uh, the uh, police, and the highway patrol went out there, and their cars died. And so I was reading those newspaper accounts, and, I, and uh, it really fascinated me. So I actually drew this watercolor of the event when it was happening. And then once I found it here, I went back and checked to find out when that level ended. Uh, thing that happened. It was 1957, so I think I can legitimately say that I've been, you know, uh, investigating and at least being aware and trying to look into UFOs since 1957. Yeah, uh, you, you got you got a couple of days research behind you. What can you say? 
<laughs> just a few. <laughs> just a few days. Yeah, but you see, that's important for people to understand. You know, I, had, I was talking with a gentleman at one of these meetups we do, because uh, we host some meetup things in the South, and uh, he got to, to talking, oh, it's just all new stuff, and, and you know, people have only been doing this for five or ten years, and I'm thinking to myself, you're a moron, apparently you have not done any reading out here. I didn't want to be rude, but, you know, I'm thinking, you haven't done any real reading. And then he, then he proceeded to tell me that, you know, aliens might have been on the planet for the last 20 or 30 years. And I'm like, I said, first off, I said, if you want to use Roswell, they've been here 60 years. I said, for me personally, they date back much, 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 much <laughs> oh, yeah. farther than that. I you said, know, you know, I started uh, teaching a course on UFOs at the University of Texas at Arlington back in 2000 and continued that until I retired uh, uh, at the beginning of 2008. And uh, one of the first things I did in the first class period, you know, is uh, I would tell people, come back next week prepared to give me uh, a UFO incident that happened before the year 1900. And it was amazing because they'd all kind of look at me funny like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, most of them think it all starts in right. with Roswell or whatever, and so then they'd all come back, and they'd all be so excited because, man, they'd have all kinds of stuff. One guy had some stuff they'd found in China. A lot of people had stuff from South America. Uh, one person even, even had a whole list of stuff out of the Bible, you know, like Ezekiel and the, and the fiery wheel that carried him through the air. I mean, you know, hello. Well, we got to take a break right quick. I got Somebody just sent me a question. They wanted to know about a hoax. Oh, all right, I know what that's about. When we come back from the break, I'll ask you that question, so you got time to answer it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, y'all are listening to UFO on the cover. I am your host, Joe Mentale. I'm sitting and speaking with Jim Mars tonight. We are crossing a several topics this evening. Uh, probably we'll call in the next hour, probably cross another several 8, 9, 10, 11 topics. So, if you got questions, y'all know how to get in touch with me. You can use the 800 number. You can post them in the room. You can put your hand up. There's all kind of ways to get your question into the show. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take about an eight-minute break. I want everyone to please stay tuned to UFO on the cover. See you in eight. And we are... Welcome to UFO Undercover with your host, Joe Montaldo. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to UFO Undercover. Like Natasha says, I am your host, Joe Montana. I'm sitting and speaking with Jim Mars this evening. Uh, we've actually been crossing a lot of topics tonight, ladies and gentlemen. If there's something you want to know, I mean, Jim's a wealth of information. He's, he's got quite a few good books out there you can go read. I'll get him to tell you a little bit about that sometime and show him where to find them. Uh, he, actually, I think he's got three that I've read. Two, three, yes, I don't, I don't know. Um, he got, he got some good ones, though, guys. And, and I know some people who have been writing me think that he's strictly a ufologist. No, that's not exactly true. Uh, he has many hats, just like the, the rest of us do. You know, anybody who's been in the field for for more than a few years actually dons more than one hat. We may not talk about it, but we all do because simply, if you're going to truly understand ufology, you're going to have to understand a lot of things from politics to religion, spirituality, different astronomy, numerology. You name it, you're going to have to understand it because somehow or another, this field ties into it. It just does. Um, I don't know what it is about ufology and how it manages to cross all the boundaries uh, of everything. It's, it's one of the few things probably that truly crosses and touches uh, everything that's connected to us. It's one of those things. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. Oh, and David just told me all the book, the, the four books are listed on the site. Well, y'all can go to UFO on the cover and take a look for yourself, guys. Click, go, click, go. Check them out. Read them. Uh, Jim's easy to get in touch with. He doesn't mind talking to people. Don't harass the man, okay? Uh, you know, and if you're a retard, 
Oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. But you know what I mean? I don't mean literally retard. I mean, you know, you moron people out there that think you know everything they don't actually know. Don't write, okay? <laughs> we don't want to. <laughs> Jim's like, should I say anything? Should I say anything? <laughs> uh, you know what, Jim? I, you know, uh, somebody told me I was turning into Rush Limbaugh the other day. Well, guys, that was just rude, okay? I'm not turning into Rush. But, you know, sometimes I get aggravated with some of the BS I got to go. I mean, come on. You know, there's lots of people. We're trying to help people. And when you tie us up with a bunch of BS, you're just costing someone who may actually need legitimate help or need to be put into someone with someone that can help them. You know, it just irritates me. And, you know, we're here, to, we're here to find the truth. You know, that's what we're all here for. We want to know the truth. We, you know, most of us agree the planet's being visited. We just want to know why they're visited and what they plan on doing and what's their future plans for our species and our planet which I think we all have the right to know. Whether we're ready for it or not, I do think we have the right to know. So these are things that, you know, we're trying to get to, and some people do need help. Some people need guidance through their abduction. Some people need to seek other kind of help because of, of other things that have happened to them. Um, you know, I was talking with, with Jim about the military abduction. I was talking about Melinda on the military abductions, and you know, some people just need help. That's just how it is. But you know, Jim, welcome back. Sorry, I had to get that off my chest right quick. It was yeah, uh, the catharsis is always good. <laughs> and uh, But I got, you know, somebody had sent me this question right before the break. Actually, I think it was David that sent it to me. He said, what does Jim think about, okay, does he does he think a hoax DT threat that was predicted by Warner Von Braun might be possible in the near future? Uh, maybe as a way of type of disclosure, but maintain controlled information, I guess. You know, what they're looking for here is, is, first off, do you think there might be an ET hoax, and could it be used to assimilate information out to the general public? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know that there are contingency plans, <clears throat> as Werner von Braun said, after the uh, threat of international communism kind of, Collapsed. Uh, then they went to the threat of international terrorism, which I believe is is just a big sham. And yeah, I'll tell you why. Actually. It just if you don't think so, then just think about this: How are we supposed to believe that there's this international terrorist organization, uh, Al Qaeda, well funded, well armed, who are just devoted to the point of suicide of destroying the great Satan, the United States, and trying to slip weapons of mass destruction into our country and trying to cause us all kinds of grievous harm when, to this very day, they have done nothing to secure the borders of this country. Yep. I mean, that should show everybody right there that it's, it's, it's a sham, it's a, it's a hoax. Well, if that's not good enough, I don't know if you had heard about this now, Jim. Uh, a couple of years ago... Uh, some of the equipment we use to check containers come into the country for nuclear weapons and stuff like that can be tuned to look for stuff like marijuana and cocaine. Now, they, Congress was actually petitioned so for these to be put in all the ports and all the trucking stations so they could check. Right. Congress turned them down. Now, why do you think Congress turned down a sure way to stop drugs coming into our country? Well, because <laughs> it goes back <laughs> to the bumper sticker I saw once. It said, dare to get the CIA off drugs. Yeah, you know, this goes back to when they were bringing in drugs from Southeast Asia and the body bags of uh, of our uh, kill soldiers. Uh, it goes back to the story that was broken out in California about how that the CIA was behind the drugs on all the streets. But, man, 
every time you bring that up, it gets shut down. You know, oh, yeah. it's, uh, there's there's too much money flowing in the drug business. Okay. Well, but by by the way, though, we we can rest easy. Okay, because never mind about the meth and the crystal meth and the, and, and the heroin and all these hard drugs and these synthetic drugs that they're killing everybody with ecstasy and the rest. Never mind about our wars and. Afghanistan and Iraq that are just killing guys and, and gals uh, almost daily. Uh, never mind about our tanking economy. According to the FBI, marijuana arrests are at an all-time high. Oh, well, thank goodness. So we can rest easy because they're out there busting those yeah, that's wasting time kids smoking dope. You know. <clears throat> never mind about the nukes that are being slipped yeah. into the country. And Considering that marijuana in most states now is a misdemeanor, I don't even know why they're bothering. Exactly. Um, well, I'll tell you why they're bothering, because if it gets to the point to where people uh, can grow a little pot, smoke a little pot, uh, they're not going to be buying all that expensive imported drugs that is lying in the yeah. pockets of the CIA and the mafia and, and God knows who else. Well, you know, one of my one of my guys that, that are, we call him a D30, he's just an, an agent, but you know, he was telling me too. He said he said he made a point about this past election. He said, Joe, let me ask you this question. He said, you know, it's estimated that 30 percent of Americans, you know, uh, 90 million or, or 70 million, are, are on some type of drug. <clears throat> oh yeah. So, yeah. So, if you think we have a problem with illegal drugs, that's nothing compared yeah. to the problem we have with legal drugs. He said he would just about guarantee you, out of that 80 or 90 million, 70 million of them won't vote, won't go cast a vote won't have anything to do with voting uh, or have any real opinions on anything that our government's doing. They may bitch and moan and groan at home, but they're not going to do anything about it. So that only leaves the other 100 million, you know, basically to decide the fate of the country because, you know, the other 100 million is too young or too old. So Yeah, it's, uh, well, and, and let's look at the ones outside of that demographic. Yeah. Let's look at all the just the people who live in the cities, okay? Yeah. Uh, they're all drinking fluoridated water. Oh, yeah. And uh, as I pointed out in detail and documented in my book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, uh, the Hitler and the Nazis put fluoride in the water of their concentration camps to keep the inmates docile and pacified. You know, one of the most uh, abused drugs in this country is Prozac. Yeah, it is. Right? And Prozac, its technical name is fluoroxine because it is 94% fluoride. All right, now just think about this for a minute. If you want to be dulled down and not be depressed and not, you know, feel good all day, you have to go to a doctor, a licensed physician. You have to get a prescription for Prozac so you can take that fluoride so it'll dull you down and you kind of go through the day going, ah, oh, da-da, everything's okay. <laughs> Don't ask right? And yet we have un undocumented, unlicensed, non-medical people, city employees who are dumping fluoride into your drinking water. Well, you know something, too? It, there's a correlation between a couple of things. How do you go from the 60s and 70s with protesting all over our country, everybody standing up for their rights, making sure the government was being held accountable to... They shut down the Vietnam War, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And today's society where everybody's just like, well... That's the government. That's the government. Okay, oh, yeah, now, well, that's is everybody yeah. that was alive in the 60s dead? No, you know I'm they're all still alive. You're not. <laughs> what gets me, and, and I get What happened to all those folks? That's all them damn chemtrails. They've been, you never notice that they start spraying it. We, we submitted this to a couple of researchers about a decade ago about uh, 
we noticed about two weeks before every major holiday, <clears throat> the skies would start filling up with all these contrails or chemtrails, because contrails right. don't last for a whole day. Uh, I don't care how cold it is, uh, a chemtrail might last all day. A contrail is going to either be sheared apart by the wind or dissolve by as it sinks in the atmosphere. Right, so, as, it, as it condenses back yeah, into the air. Yeah, and so the thing about it is, is this, this is pretty basic stuff here. And when you see a trail that spreads out and turns into a cloud and just basically hangs over your city for a day, you know, guys, that's a little bit more than a contrail. I'm sorry exactly. to be the one to break y'all on this, but... And the government has gone as far as admitting spraying of, uh, what were they saying about, oh, aerial inoculation. I love yeah. that one. That we're, we're trying to learn how to vaccinate in case of a, a polo or Ebola virus. We can just spray everybody. I'm thinking. That's right. I've it. seen a uh, school, school child's textbook that talks about aerial inoculation and mm-hmm. aerial spraying. But when you go and ask your local news station and they ask the Air Force uh, or the FAA, they go, oh, no, no, no such thing as that. Yeah, well. I mean, it, 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 what's wrong with people? <laughs> well, well we've got I, think, pictures. I think we just said they're all on something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the thing, and, and you know, and I did at first. I was thinking, yeah, I'm just, I'm just getting paranoid. So I started asking around some other my friends. Well, you know, Joe, ever since you said that, I noticed around two weeks, what holidays they start doing it. And he said, you know, people will be all cranky, and then all of a sudden they're just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, like this year. About this is funny as hell, by the way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, everybody I know was just. Kissy, cranky, just in a bad mood, holidays coming. And I guarantee, about just about a week ago, I noticed they started spraying again. All my friends, family, all, they all singing Merry Christmas songs and caroling. <laughs> Come and, Claus here. Come yeah, I'm thinking, Claus. I'm thinking, did I like move into the Twilight Zone here or what? The, and so I asked my mom about that. She's like, man, she's like, I've been in an excellent mood for weeks. I'm like, no, you haven't. And I was talking to some friends of mine at work, and I'm like, well, y'all been, oh, no, we've been in excellent mood. I'm thinking, done lost your mind it's what's happened here and uh but i don't understand why it affects some people and not others yeah well it, it, it affects different people different ways yeah, you yeah. know it has to do with your immunization system with your psychological profile you know it, it's got a lot of things so it doesn't affect everybody the same way no it doesn't and uh it, it just seems the mass of the population 60 or 70 percent seem to have that that docile reaction to it where they're just kind of wondering. Yeah, it's like, oh, well. Did you notice, and, and this this really bothered me, you know, 911 was a horrific thing, was just horrific. Right. I've seen our country get more upset over stupid things than they did over 911. It's like... Well, they got more upset over what was the little Cuban boy that they said Oh, yeah, tag? yeah. I, 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 Emilio I, or something. I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I watched this thing happen. It was like surreal. It's like half the country was just like, Oh well, you know, so they built the twin towers. I'm thinking, what the? And I can't use this kind of language on the on the air, but still, <laughs> you know, I, I was coming good. I'm thinking, oh, okay, our country is just they they finally just went. It, it proved to me that no less than half Americans are just sheeples. They're just they're just off in their own little zone somewhere, and they are not paying attention to anything going on. I, I mean, anything. And the only way they vote or they get their news or the, is is like CNN or Fox, which is just a waste of time. Right. And, and that's it. That's how they, is, they decide who the they're going to vote. Mass media, and that's the party line. You know, I asked, and, and not to pick on Obama because this was true for McCain too, but I, I asked about 50 people to explain to me why they were voting to who they were voting for. Most of it was a couple people told me because of color. A couple people told me that uh, because one looked better than the other. A couple people told me because the other one was too old. Uh, no one that out of everyone I talked to about this told me either one of the candidates' strengths or weaknesses, nothing like that. 
they were voting on basically on hearsay on stuff they've heard either other people, websites, or the TV say no one actually went and did their homework. Now I know a couple of people personally that went out and went out and did homework. They weren't in the in the in the group I was talking to, but in general, they, they just weren't. They're just in this daze. And, and I'm listening. You know, the other day, uh, everybody's in a daze. They're just you know in a daze. It's like this governor thing in Illinois. Now I don't. Most people don't realize that Obama and this guy were friends. Um, I'm thinking, yes, this guy's guilty. He's guilty. Acorn's being indicted in 11 states. Obama sat on their board. What the hell? If they're guilty, he's guilty. You know, really, so I, I got to kind of wonder what's going on here myself. It's like it's, it's, it's like they're just in a daze. Well, what kills me is that uh, I've had people say, "Oh, well, you know, he's got to be qualified," uh, you know, because uh, you know they 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 would have checked on that back in Illinois. <laughs> hey, look at what's going on in Illinois right now. Well, you don't now. have to be a natural. Tell me if they're immune to corruption and shenanigans. Yeah, but you don't have to be a natural-born citizen to be a senator or governor anyway. Only That's to be true. president. Only the president. Only the presidency requires that. And so you don't, you know, you can be born. As a matter of fact, Louisiana just put uh, our first, uh, he's actually the first Vietnamese in Congress. He was just elected in Louisiana just recently. And um, so, you know, and he's a, he's a migrant. You know, he's not from the United States. Yeah, but he's been naturalized. Oh, yeah, right? he's been naturalized. He's been in the country for like 20 years or so. Right. And uh, so, I mean, you know, but, you know, he's in the Senate. So we don't mind that. Well, uh, who was it? Wasn't it uh, Daniel Inouye, you know, from Hawaii, uh, who was a World War II veteran? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was from Hawaii, but Hawaii didn't become a state until like 1957 or 59, something like that. Yeah. And and yet he served with quite you know with distinction. Personally, I don't think we should count Hawaii as a real state anyway. So <laughs> um, if you, they were born there, they should not be. It's like Puerto Rico. If you're from Puerto Rico, you can't be president, even though they're a commonwealth. You still can't be president. I think well, Hawaii true, should not, be treated but they're not the a state. Yeah, but they're common. Well, they, they might as well. But they can vote in the elections. They just can't put anybody in the elections. That's right. that's you know that's just goofy. And they don't have to pay income tax, which really bites. By the way, well, I think can... Louisiana needs to become a common. <laughs> that's right. That's right, mate. Well, I tell you what. I'm you know Texas uh, under the provisions of the. Um, Articles that brought them into the union, uh, we we can go back to being a republic anytime we want to. And frankly, but, I think it's about time. You but. know, it's interesting you you brought that up because <laughs> just recently I was reading an article. I think it was in the Dallas. It was in the Dallas. Mm. Either Dallas or Houston. A friend of mine sent it to me, um, mm. talking about because Texas, you know, was like Louisiana. They voted pretty heavy on McCain's side of the fence. Right. They were talking about doing their use was succeeding for the union, and they needed fifty-one or sixty-one percent. They said but last time they did this. They said they barely lost it, but it was like 3 or 4%. They think they could actually win succession this time. <laughs> and I'm thinking that would be all fine, but we can't let Texas succeed from the Union, so we're going to go military-occupy Texas. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, that'll start a revolution for sure. That'll start a real problem. You know, there was a book I read many years ago uh, <laughs> called The Texas-Israeli War, <laughs> and it was all about how Texas secedes from the Union. And the rest of the Union, like you, say, well, we can't let Texas do that. But they hesitated to send American troops down to fight Texans, uh, so they hired the Israeli army to go in and fight the Texans. <laughs> oh, Lord. I tell you what, now, and that sounds just absolutely outrageous, but, man, the way this world is going, I, I don't know. I'd believe most anything. But here's my plan, Joe. See, Texas secedes from the Union, and what we do is form an alliance with Mexico, 
and we combined our oil resources and we could dominate the western hemisphere and what's great is is the the name is already there uh, you we, got you got to have louisiana to dominate the oil we got all well, the damn refineries we'd, now we'd be texaco texaco shame on you oh now you see you probably done gave somebody an idea now y'all see later on in a couple of years when Texas succeed. You see where it started, right here with Jim Mars and Joe Mattel. So you have to cover. I can hear yeah, it. Yeah, but now. I'll tell you what. Yeah, we need. We need. Well, what we do? We'll annex Louisiana. Yeah, that sounds good. We need thing. Louisiana, man. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I, I, to I have, got to have that shrimp ball and that jambalaya. Well, it was so. It was so funny to me, with the exception of New Mexico and and and. Um, but and wait a minute, Arizona. we're going to have to annex New Mexico too, because I, I really like that green chili. <laughs> that's just pretty good stuff. I was eating some last time I was out there. Man, I found a good little, uh, when I was in Raza, that's a good little Mexican restaurant. They got some damn good food. It's at the end of town, guys. Y'all will find it, trust me, if you go this year. And y'all uh, there's several good eating places. Oh, yeah, there Raza. is. There is. Uh, actually, Maybe. the first time I went to Raza, I shouldn't say this on air, but first time I went to Raza, I was like, oh, come on. This this place is ridiculous. Cause, and this was a long time ago, by the way. But, yeah. You know, just a little podunk tail. Oh, yeah, and it smelled like cow, you know what. And um, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, and why the hell are we here again? But, you know, I was there for the 60th anniversary. I got to, I got to do a, a, a workshop or whatever the hell they call it. And I had a lot of fun, and uh, it was well done. I enjoyed myself. Uh, all the people there were fantastic. And i got to say this again. Everyone who worked the festival that year uh, took excellent care of us. They were great people. They went out of the way to make sure we were happy and, and taken care of. And I just want to tell them thank you again in case y'all are out there listening tonight. Oh, yeah. Because Listen, I, I really there's some great, great people, great eating places. Roswell is actually, well, it, it is a little town, but it's got all the amenities of a little town. And, and I thought Julie Sluice was going to give me a hard time because she knows I, I, you know, I've met her before and I've given Move on a hard time over the years, right. and, uh, which they deserve, by the way. No, she's a very, very, and, uh, but, very but nice But she, she was very walked the line with me, very polite, and, and told me what I need, if I need this, I need that, if you want to do this, because we're there doing interviews and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, she was really, really nice, and I, I had a really good time. I really did. I, I really had a better time than I thought I was going to have. That's great. And, and uh, you know, it's got that little town feel. And I, yeah, you yeah. know, I figured out, Joe. Like I, I live out in this rural county, and there's like three, or four little towns nearby, and almost every one of them has several really good eating places. And I finally figured out why that is. See, if you're in a big city and you've got an eating establishment, and you're not you're kind of mediocre to bad, you can survive, you can do just well, because there's so many people there that there'll be people coming in regardless, oh, yeah. right? But when you when there's a little bitty town, you've got a very finite customer base, and if you don't have good food, they're not going to be coming back, and you're not going to be in business very long. That's, That's that why right, in the little right. towns, you find really good eating places. Yeah, they do, yeah, and that's why. Because if you're going to make it, you're going to, especially in country, because country people cook more than city people. Well, these days everybody probably cooks the same, but in the old days, country people cooked more than city people did. And so, if you're going to keep a restaurant anywhere in a rural area, it better have damn. You better have good, good food, and and there's a corollary to that too, which is I'm down here in cattle country, okay. So if you're going to serve steaks, oh yeah, you better have a damn good steak because the, your customers know steaks, and they're not going to settle for some dried up little. Leathery yeah. piece of steak. So what is this? This is not a steak. Take this. Oh, I did that. Um, where were we? Went in Florida. Yeah, this is only a quarter of an inch steak. Yeah, <laughs> bring, I was me in Florida. A, bring me a steak. <laughs> I was in Florida and I ordered a porterhouse. And the girl brought me out a T-bone. She said, and I said, baby, that's not a porterhouse. She said, 
Yes, it is. I said, no, sweetie, a porterhouse is a New York strip on one side and a filet mignon on the other side. Right. I said, this is a T-bone, I said, because there's no filet on the side. I said, so please either bring me my steak or don't charge me for a porterhouse. <laughs> and uh, she was just dumbfounded. So the manager came out, and he was like, he's like, you're right, that is a T-bone. He said, I apologize. And he went and looked. He said, well, we don't have any porterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is settled for a T-bone gave it to me half price, but... You yeah, think yeah, they I mean, just made a mistake, or were they, were they just trying to get rid of their? They were just trying to get rid of them. They they just had them, and they didn't. Know. They I honestly don't some think. city guy come in, he doesn't know. Yeah, because this is this was like I think we were in Destin, Florida, and uh, it was actually at Outbacks. To be honest with you, I mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have said that on the air, but uh, I like Outbacks, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I think they got pretty good food, but um, this particular Outbacks, the manager and most of the people there did not really know their way around the state. I'm trying to be, you know, diplomatic here, but they didn't, and it was sad. But, um, it, well, you it, know, you run into that area. Anywhere, anytime you have a huge chain, uh, uh, lots of times it's very dependent on where they are, uh, who their suppliers yeah. are, and mostly what their staff, you know, how, how competent they are, how trained they are. There can be a lot of differences. Well, you know, I spend a lot of time in Mississippi, a lot of time in Alabama, a lot of time in Florida, a lot of time in Texas, by the way. And, uh, you know, because I'm in the Gulf South, and that's where I do most of my investigation work. Um, that's not everything that iCard does, but what my personal stuff is down here in the South. And it's, it's you know, i got to say, and, I, and, and please, my friends in Yankee land, if they don't get mad at me, but the food is much better in the South, guys. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite, but the food is just all around better in the South. They just said, what it was is, you know, we did a lot of traveling up north and out on the East Coast, and, all, and the food seems to be bland. It, it's pretty, okay? Don't. Guys, it's pretty food. It's bland food. It's like California food. It's pretty, but it doesn't really have any texture or flavor. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm New Orleanian. I'm used to when I bite into some, I want some, some wham, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I amazed a bunch of Londoners one time because I was in London and went to what they said was a Mexican restaurant. Oh, shit. And uh, <laughs> they called me and it was all right, but didn't have there wasn't any wasn't any tang to it wasn't any, you know wasn't any seasoning. And I said, "Do you have any hot sauce?" And they said, "Yeah, we have the uh, regular and the mild." And I said, "Well, wait, have you got any really hot sauce?" And they were going, "Well, yeah, we we got some, but you don't really want that." And I said, "Yeah, I do." So they brought me this bowl of hot sauce, and yeah, it's pretty spicy, but it, it wasn't anything more than what I was used to in Texas. So I dumped it over everything on my plate, and I was just eating away, and I looked up, and the waiter and everybody in the place were staring at me like, man, that guy's going to die. You know, we're going to watch him explode here any minute. They just couldn't believe that I was eating that hot sauce, and it just it wasn't even that hot to me. But they, but in England, they even eat more bland food than they do, than they do up north. Oh, yeah, they, they do Chupacabra's dog on policeman's video. What? What? Do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. I just seen somebody type this. I was like, uh-huh. uh, "Now I, is this something that just hit the it says, YouTube or something?" It says about the text Chupacabra dogs on policeman's video. I don't know. At first, I thought he was talking about the burrito alien. That's, <laughs> that's that case out in um, with the family out there where they wrapped him up in. The, I call it the burrito alien because that's what it looks like when I see the video, but. Um, and I, somebody probably in the room knows what I'm talking about, but the one that you, the guy just typed in the room, I don't know what he's talking about. Chupacabra dogs on police video. Uh, well, sounds like a... Well, some, send me a somebody, link, man. Somebody with a video cam in the cop car caught a Chupacabra. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that yeah, wherever send, it is. Send us a link. We'll, we'll send us... Y'all got our email. Send us this, because I, I honestly don't know what they're talking about, which is just yeah. odd to me. 
See uh, now the chupacabras. I wrote about them in uh, Alien Agenda, and it's and it's still going on. There's still reports, and uh, in fact, you know, they found the they found that body down in South Texas. And they're trying to say it might be a chupacabra. Uh, that's that's a very strange thing. I, I hadn't quite figured out what uh, what, that is, what that's yeah. all about. Yeah, that is a strange phenomenon in itself. Some people say alien. Some people say some kind of weird hybrid. Some people say some kind of a- animal. I'm like, eh, I don't know. As long as I don't run into one. By the way, the chupacabra, I do carry a gun. <laughs> yeah, really. As long as they don't come up to my house in the middle of the night. One of my friends tells me, he said, you know, Joe, I told him something about seeing aliens and UFOs. He said, yeah, but you've never seen a Bigfoot, and that's because you carry a gun. I said, well, that's a damn good thing, because I would shoot the Bigfoot if I seen him. I said, so Bigfoot's not real stupid, does he? Because he knows stay away from Joe with the gun. Well, you know, Joe, that, that reminds me uh, just a few years ago. You know, and I'd been kind of thinking of it. I said, well, you know, if they're out there and if they're aware of what's going on, then maybe they've read my books or maybe they've heard me on the TV or or the radio and they know that I'm open-minded. And, you know, I said, I I wonder why they don't just come visit me because as far as I know, I've never seen a UFO, okay? Now, as a newsman for 50 years, I I have talked to too many people, uh, police officers and pilots and air traffic controllers, you know, and after a while you go, you know, all these people can't be nuts. And so I'm definitely there. I know they're there. I know they're real. But I keep saying, well, I wonder why they don't come and, and visit me. And then one night I was I was awakened by this crash inside the house, and I jump up and I creep down and I turn on the light. And it turns out one of the cats had jumped up on a bookshelf and knocked over a picture or whatever, and they did falling off and crashed. It wasn't a big deal, but then I looked down and I had a gun in my hand, and I'm thinking, oh, now I know why they don't come see me in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, you know, they got me They got me one night. I was out in uh, near Stennis NASA facility in Mississippi, and, and Fort in the Lost Woods, nowhere. And uh, we'd been out there for surveillance stuff for, uh, on and off for about three years. We've seen some hairy stuff out there. And I was out there one night. I had a 380 with me with exploding hollow points. And, and a friend of mine's like, he's like, well, you're never going to get So I said, fine. So I start screaming in the woods like a madman, okay? They actually, if you ever hear the theme song to my show, the opening song, and actually a friend of mine made a, a, a version of this uh, as a song, uh, what happened. But it was a very strange thing all in all. But I finally, uh, they came out the woods. Uh, I don't know if I was actually in the woods. I could have been in a ship as far as I know, Jim, but... Uh, they came out, and, and what was odd was, besides everything else that went on that night, they actually physically left a handprint on the trunk of my car. Whoa. And besides that, they had this weird film that was up and down. It was just up and down my right arm. And if that wasn't weird enough, when I got in the car, I told my wife, you know, we're going to drive all the way home, and nobody's even going to notice we're on the road. Well, I'm coming up this old, lonely road. There's a state trooper sitting on the side of the road. I'm doing 95. Well, I physically seen his car shake as I blew by him, and he didn't even pull out or anything. He just sits there. Yeah, I get on interstate. I'm cruising, right? And everybody's driving around. It's like we're not there. A couple of times it scared me, like a rig was going to come over on top of us or something. It was just weird me out. So I punched it. I hit the Mississippi state line doing about 105, 106, blew by two Louisiana state troopers, and nobody stopped me. At that point, I was just totally and absolutely freaked out. I actually went and stopped at a Waffle House so I could put that, because I thought I was losing my mind. <laughs> I did. I thought I was actually yeah, losing my mind. Weird. I was like, what the hell is going on here? 
And uh, somehow, I, I don't. I, I, we were physically there, but somehow or another, we were either out of sync with time, or we were kind of cloaked. I don't know what it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. You might have been a little bit out of sync. And it, it was very, very weird because it, it, it's like being there, but not being. There. I don't know how else to, to describe it. It was busy. There was lots of traffic. Um, it was it was fairly early in the evening, and but yet nobody seemed to notice us, and it just it just weirded me out. But I knew when I got in the car. That's what was even weirder. And uh, that kind of culminated with another experience where we, we ran into one of them black things, actually took a pot shot at it, which was a waste of time. Um, that, they, that's what that song was about. It was really, really... One night when I got some time, I'll have to tell you about both of the encounters. It was very, 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 very strange stuff. But I'm real lucky, Jim, the fact that, you know, i got a big crew that works with me, and we got a lot of contactees. So we have, we were pervy to knowing what a lot of the hot spots are. Right. And what will happen is... is We'll know, like, a contactee, like, we do a lot of work out of Pensacola, Florida. Well, we'll start getting phone calls, right? So we know they're getting heavy active. Well, we'll start popping up and hanging around these areas. Well, it's almost a 99% chance you're going to see something. Sometimes you're going to wish you didn't see something, by the way. But still, uh, you're going to have an experience. And, and I tell people all the time, Gulf Breeze if, if, or, or Navarre Beach, if you've got some free time, like a week or 10 days that you can waste, I will guarantee you, if you spend it down there, you will have an encounter. If you stay on the beach at night, you will have an encounter. Uh, it's the only place I know the Greys actually walk on the beach. And this has not only been authenticated by ourselves, but several other researchers, and probably more than 100 contactees. Uh, they actually move around on the beach at night down there. I don't know what the hell they're doing. There's an underground facility on Eglin Air Force Base, which happens to be right up against Navarre Beach. And... Golf Breeze in Pensacola. They're all touching all the way up to Eglin Air Force Base. And for anybody that knows this, Eglin Air Force Base is the largest non-nuclear testing facility in the world. It's 885 square mile base, and they test everything the military has except for nukes. Huh. Everything except for nukes. And they've got a bombing derby, a bombing range out there. They've got golf testing ranges. They've got beach testing ranges. Uh, we've actually videotaped UFOs out there on, on at least four occasions. We got one nice, clear video, too. You can see it's a nice, clear video. There's some, on the Alien Enigma website, there's some pictures of it. Uh, classic, just hovering over the beach. Right there at Eglin Air Force Base near one of the abandoned runways, just sitting there hovering. Hmm. And we're sitting there with a video camera and a 35 millimeter, uh, which was odd. The video camera seemed to pick it up pretty easy. The 35 millimeter seemed to be distorted, so... I don't know, because I was using a digital video camera, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming the digital it wasn't affected as bad as the 35-millimeter uh, was, but you can still make out something on the 35 as well. It was, it was just wild. It was really yeah, wild. Yeah, I never know if that's a... I think, I'm beginning to think that has to do with the energy field. I do, too. That uh-huh. surrounds them. But, hey, listen, we're kind of approaching the top of the hour here. Let me put in a shameless plug. Oh, yeah, get, get in them plugs. For, for my new book, Above Top Secret. And uh, the reason I want to put this in, because I'm sure there's a lot of your listeners out there that are probably thinking now, what can I get my brother or my uncle for Christmas? And I'm telling you, this book may be the deal. And I'm saying this not because I thought of this as an advertising ploy, but because I've had several people uh, come and say, I want to get your book because I want to give it as a Christmas present. Because, let me just run down what some of these chapters cover. Was 9-11 an inside job? Is the supply of, a supply of oil peaking? Uh, why did the Air Force change its story on Stephenville? Do road signs contain hidden codes? 
is free and alternative energy being kept from the public? Is the Federal Reserve System a scam? Are chemtrails for real? Is there a Nazi base in Antarctica? Who killed JFK? I mean, my gosh, who doesn't want to know some of that stuff? And, and uh, so this is kind of a uh, conspiracy 101. Uh, and so if you've got a brother, sister, or a favorite uncle or aunt or, or even your parents or whoever, and you're thinking, you know, if they have a little bit of an open mind, a little bit of a questioning attitude, this would be the perfect book to to uh, just get them, get them uh, uh, kind of inoculated into some of the biggest mysteries and conspiracies of our time. Well, it sounds interesting to me, but I want an autographed copy. I don't want no no funky copy. I, want <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're the one who sent me one with a blank blank check in it, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, went, I went the autographed copy, man. I went, I went the good book. I went the one with the secret information in it. No, and this was really a fun book for me to write because like when they approached me on this, this is, a, this is uh, you know, it was kind of an offshoot of the Above Top Secret website, yeah. which uh, any of your people, people listening out there, if you want to go somewhere and get a wide-ranging bunch of discussions about all kinds of things, and then uh, above top secret, you couldn't find a better place to go. And they nothing is sacred. They'll, they'll address everything, but they do monitor and they do try to make sure that it's all kept on a, a high plane. In other words, you can argue with anyone all you want to, but if you start stooping to name-calling, then they, you know, they put you down. And uh, it's a great place, but when they approached me and said, we want you to write about, you know, Kennedy and 9-11 and Roswell and Stephenville and what hovered over the gate 17C at O'Hare Airport, you know, and all that, I'm Stephenville. I'm going, good grief, man, you know, <laughs> any one of these subjects could be the uh, the topic of, of, of a book in itself. Oh, hell and I'm, yeah. And I'm thinking, and if I have to go and footnote everything and, you know, I said, you're talking about it. And they said, no, no, no. I said, you've been at this long enough, and you have a credible reputation. I said, you just write this thing and put down what you know. And uh, and so I thought, okay. So I just tackled every one of these subjects. Uh, I had to brush up on a few of them, but a lot of them already had all the backgrounding. And so instead of getting into technical details, I just present the broad overview. Here's what it is. I went back to the journalism basics, who, what, when, where, and why. And, uh, you know, every it's been well-received. Um, it's going great guns. And I'll tell you, like I said, I, people tell me it makes a great gift, so I thought I'd just pass that along. Sounds like an excellent gift to me, but, I, you know, I, I like books like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm I do, too. Um, but, you know, I also have a large ufology library. I'm, I'm an easy guy. By the way, speaking of that, uh, recently I, I received some donated books. I want to tell you all, thank you. I, I've been restocking my library since Katrina. I lost about 300 books in Katrina. And uh, about a quarter, maybe a third of my library went the way of Katrina. Everything on the lower shelves was ruined. <laughs> but at least all the stuff I've been collecting, UFO books and stuff like that, conspiracy books for 25 years. So. And so as my wife, she loves to read. Actually, I think she's got your new book, to be honest with you. Uh, I'll have to ask her. I haven't read it yet. <clears throat> I'm dying to read it. But and after I read it, you know, I'm gonna call and harass you. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, you know, I had Richard Sauter on. We we've had on in two occasions. I mean, not Richard Sauter, Richard Dolan on twice about uh, in nine one one being an inside job. Of course, me and him disagree. But you know, maybe I should get you and him on one time and and, and discuss this. This might be quite interesting. Yeah. 
Well, I think so. You know, just you know. See, the, the, the thing about the thing about nine eleven is, is that you can pick any particular little issue, like the melting point of steel, or, or you know, was there right? Does the radar information, or the, or better yet, did the uh, security cameras at the Pentagon did they show that a plane went in there? You know, and you can take any one of those issues, and you can. And you can argue back and forth and back and forth, and there's experts on both sides, you know. But what you have to do is back off. you got to back off I, and, well, I tell you and, and look at the total picture, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, well, I'm the black sheep in all these subjects anyway, because I, I was one of the first people that said I thought that flight was shot down by the government. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they said, oh, no, the people got said, no, they didn't. And I said, the plane broke up in the air in two pieces. I said, that's it that's was shot the down. main thing, you know, and, and I personally have heard the... Uh, Cockpit recording from a uh, uh, from the FAA of another aircraft, and they were trying to get him to spot Flight 93. And he says, "Oh, I think I got his spot." He says, "There's trailing smoke, you know, and this yeah. big black smoke." Yeah, because they oh, were me, You know, if a plane's being flown, you just fly it in the ground. There's no trail. It's not trailing smoke. But Plus, they, it left an eight mile long debris trail. That means that plane was coming apart as it as it was coming down. Oh yeah, that that's the thing. It was it had, it was shot down. As soon as they knew it was headed back towards DC, they shot it down. Which, you know, I want to blame them and, and find fault with this, but you know, if you knew it was going, you needed to shoot it down before you went and killed more people. So, you know, it, it's it's one of them damned if you do, damned if you don't. Anywhere I know. You go on this subject. And, I know. Because you know, I got, of course, we, surely we all know that the government will lie to us okay. even when they don't have to. Well, that's like one of the big arguments of the 911. They said, well, George Bush. I said, no, guys. I said, y'all might sell me on the inside conspiracy, but not if George Bush was involved. I said, because he ain't the one that did it. I said, first off, this would have took much longer than nine months to put it Well, why do you think he was in Florida reading about a goat to school children? They got him out of the loop. <laughs> yeah, they, they did, too, boy. Just, just so he wouldn't screw it up. <laughs> and then, then they shuffled his butt off to New Louisiana to hide him that's out. That's right. That's I, I, right. And it was, you could tell that, too. That was just bam, bam, bam. He was out of Well, you know, and, and it, see, it's the little things. It's the, and the devil's in the details. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. For, for example, uh, that trip uh, to the school there in Florida, that was well publicized. They'd even publicized the motorcade route. Yeah. They drove to the school. While he's at the school, he learns that America's under attack. You know, and they're even fearful. In fact, if you'll remember, uh, in the Pentagon, they got a coded message in that day's security code that said uh, Air Force One was to be next. So there was even a direct threat against the president. So what do they do? They calmly drive back over the the pre-announced uh, motorcade route, go out to the airport where Air Force One leisurely takes off with no fighter escorts, I mean, doesn't that prove to you that they knew there wasn't any internal problem and in, in no internal threat? Yeah, and that and the fact that they told me that it took 15 minutes to get F-16s in here. Now, in case, ladies and gentlemen, in case you all didn't know this, I'm a certified avionics technician, electronics expert for the U.S. Navy. I used to launch jets for a living, guys. Let me tell you what. We can get an F-14 from the hangar to the runway and in the air in under three minutes fully armed and fueled in under three minutes. That's right. And, and they travel all those F-16s yeah. sit around uh, under NORAD. They're all yeah. sitting there primed. They're on yes, defense they posture. They can be in the air in minutes. I gave you one year. If you'll remember this, uh, Joe, uh, in 1999, I believe it was, when the uh, Learjet of uh, the golfer, Payne Stewart, mm-hmm. they had an oxygen malfunction yeah, and they the passed that, out. Yeah, and the, the plane went off course. Twelve minutes later, there were interceptors all around it. 
Get up. No, wait a minute. You telling me on 9-11 they got four mm-hmm. airplanes hijacked and they can't get airplanes in the air? And, it, and if this was in some rural part of the United States, I might have said, okay, but this is D.C. and New York we're talking about, people. That's right. We've That's got right. planes parked all over the place. There's right. no now, way. Now, the reason they weren't in the air is because of war game exercises, which they denied for about a year, said it was an Internet, you know, rumor. And then now it's all been fully documented. Even uh, the Richard Clark, the counterterrorism chief, said when he called uh, General Myers of NORAD on the morning of 9-11 and said, hey, do you got any interceptors in the air? Uh, Myers said, well, uh, we're in the middle of a war game exercise, uh, vigilant uh, guardian, you know. Uh, and and then when they contact, FAA contacted NORAD, Colonel Marr and that uh, uh, the woman, uh, Deacons, I think her name was, and they all said, well, wait, is this, is this the real world or is this the exercises? So that brings up how did these hijackers, you know, assuming that they're smart enough and slick enough to hijack four uh, major airliners, how did they know that we'd be in the middle of war game exercises, uh, one of the scenarios of which was hijacked planes crashing into the World Trade Center? Yeah, I mean, it just goes beyond the beyond. Yeah, it does. It, it really does. You know, I know we're getting close, but um, what do you think about Barack Obama's uh, administration coming out and talking about that they expect a major nuclear or biological attack before 2013? This is the same scare tactics that George Bush is. Exactly. Yeah. Where's the change? There's no change. That was but the, I, that but was the biggest hope, but What worries me more than that, because, I mean, you know, let's face it, with 27 missing suitcase nukes, nukes from the old Soviet Union, which are probably already prepositioned in this country, they could, they could touch off a nuclear blast in any American city any time they want to. And you can imagine what the middle of a city that suffered a nuclear blast would look like. There'd be nothing there. So they could blame it on anybody who want to blame it on. Oh, yeah. Right? I know now, here's what worries me more than that is nobody seems to be paying attention that Obama has said he wants to create a civilian security force and arm it and train it to the same level of the U.S. military. Now, doesn't that sound like a bunch of SS troops? Yep, 20, he said a minimum 20,400 per major city. I was like, oh, wait a minute now. We, we yeah. ain't going there. There we go. Uh, now, and now we got the Gestapo looking at, at after us. It's just, it's, it's getting amazing, and nobody's paying Well, attention. you know, one of the things he said was he was going to see about repealing the, um, uh, the Whitchamacallit Act, the Patriot Act. Now, all of a sudden, now that he's won, he's not going to do it. Of course he's not, you because know, he's, now he's got the power. Yeah, so now he's not going to repeal the Patriot Act, and now he's talking about biological, and, and this is what killed me about his administration. They didn't say, like, nuclear bombs. They said, like, dirty bombs. They wanted to make the threat even more. You know, increase its its scariness of the threat, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I just felt like we were screwed. But as soon as I heard that, I'm like, "Well, we're screwed. That that nothing's going to change. It's going to stay well, the know, same." It's, it's it's funny that we suddenly brought this thing up about the secu- uh, civilian security force, because I I was uh, looking through one of my books here about Hitler in the Third Reich, and it says here Hitler's SS units were organized to provide the Nazi Party with an armed force. Under its direct control, an army that could cop- operate outside the Wehrmacht command structure. In other words, so translating that into um, today, we say we could see that uh, uh, Barack Obama's plan for a civilian security force 
uh, would be organized to provide the uh, Democratic Party with an armed force under its direct control, an army that could operate outside the Pentagon's command structure. Holy cow, man, we're just going, we're just becoming another Reich. No, we're, we're trying, like, you know, it's, you know, I, I said this 15 years ago that when I, when I, you know, I started watching them with little rights, taking away little stuff, and it's, it's like the DUI checks and the safety inspections on your cars. You know, when they do that, they're assuming you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, which, of course, is against our constitutional rights. We're all innocent until proven guilty. So right. anytime a cop stops you and asks you for proof of insurance, he's assuming you're guilty because he's asking you to prove that you're not. Same thing with a DUI check. Yes, I agree that they save lives, but when they stop you and ask you, have you been drinking, they're assuming you're guilty until you prove that you're not. Exactly. That is against your constitution, your fundamental constitutional rights. But yet, as Americans, we're like, well, that's fine. I'll go ahead and do it. Well, yeah. and the thing is, see, I guess my problem, Joe, is I've lived too long. Yeah. Because I can remember what it was like back in the days of the old republic. Uh, and I rode with the cops. I was a police reporter when I started my journalism career. And, number one, they didn't pull anybody over unless the guy was just weaving all over the road, oh, you know, yeah. in which case, yes, he deserves to be pulled over. And then you pull him over, and he falls out of the car, and he gets up, and he can't even talk. Yeah, got a problem there. Well, I said, so, you know, deal with that. Yeah. But this stuff about just having police checkpoints and just pulling over every third car and then asking you, have you been drinking? Well, you know, what are you supposed to say? If you had a meal and maybe one beer or a cocktail, you're fine. But what are you supposed to say? Are you supposed to lie to them and say, no, I didn't have anything? Or are you supposed to say, yeah, I had one one beer with my meal, and they say, okay, step out. Do this. Right. I mean, it's, it's really ridiculous. Uh, I, like I said, I've had the experience. Uh, a, a good, experienced police officer, he knows when somebody is drunk and incapacitated, in which case I'm the first one to say yes. Uh, he needs to take some steps there to protect that person and the public. But if somebody's operating just fine, this deal about just raising revenue by by uh, running them in, it's, it's it's just gotten out of hand. It has. It has. Well, I'll give you an example. I was about 20 years old. I'd just gotten out of the military. I was driving home. I'd been drinking. And I wasn't doing anything bad. And, and I, I rolled up on uh, two cops at a stop sign. And, and he walked up to the car. And, of course, he could smell it and drinking. And he's like, i tell you what we're going to do. Because he said, you obviously been drinking. He said, you're driving okay, so we're just going to follow you home, make sure you get home safe, and you're going to put your keys up, and you're not going to go anywhere. And I said, fine. That happened to me on two different occasions, at 20 and 21. And both times they followed me home, and actually I quit drinking and driving after that. But you know, I was going to say, and it, it made an impression on you, didn't it? It did, and it, well, because you know they went out of their way first off to make sure I got home, to make sure I didn't get in any trouble, and it didn't cost me ten thousand dollars to get out of trouble. Right. And uh, it, it was the right thing to do. It might not have been the politically correct thing to do, but it was the right thing. I've been trying to get this across to Americans because the no, right no, thing. They're, and the they're not going to understand this because hey, today it's all about the money. Oh yeah, it is. Got to have oh, yeah, the money. And uh, it, it just amazed me, you know, and, and um, I was talking with a friend of mine. Matter of fact, I got stopped uh, coming home a couple of months ago. Uh, me and the wife were at the casino, and uh, he stopped me. He said, have you been drinking? And I said, I had. Uh, he stopped me because of my license plate. He couldn't see it in my, my car when I said, I had one drink at the casino. He said, well, I don't think you're drunk or anything. He said, but why don't you just let your wife go home that way, drive home. That way there's no question. And actually, I didn't even have a whole drink. I had like two sips out of a daiquiri because I really don't drink anymore. And I kind of quit it about a dozen years ago. But... Uh, you know, I wasn't going to argue with him now. But you know why he did that? Because we were gambling at the casino. If I would have been a Mississippi resident, I'd have been going to jail at night, even though I'd only had a half a Well, I probably wouldn't have went to jail because I'd have passed the breathalyzer. But still, I would have had to go through the whole nine yards. 
But because I told him I was at the casino and I live in Louisiana, he said, fine, no problem. Well, Joe, you probably came up at the same, along the same time as I did, yeah. which is I was always taught the policeman was your friend. Yep. And if you had a problem, go seek out a police officer, yep. and, and uh, he, he'd help you out. And today, I know I started to know this even with my two daughters when they were little kids. And we'd be in the car, and they'd be like, watch out, there's a cop. You know, yeah. I'm going, where is that coming from? Yeah, well, and, yeah. and think about it. Today, it's like, you know, both not only in the police mind, but in the civilians mind, it's like it's them or us. It's them against us, you know. Yeah, That's I don't know terrible. when that started. It should be that way. Police officers supposed to be protect there to serve and protect. That's what they're there for. To and we should them. honor that, and we should be their friends, and we should try to help them in a very damn tough job. Yeah, you know. And I, and I still know there's some good cops. My, my stepfather is a retired state trooper, or captain from the state police, too. But uh, you know what? By the way, I use him to get me information on contact. He's, he's got all kind of connections. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, make a lot of Don't give away your secrets, man. Uh, no, that's okay. He, don't, he doesn't mind. But the thing about it is, is, is you know, he was he's a nice guy. Even though, don't get me wrong, he can be a butthole when he wants to be. <laughs> uh, the thing of it is, is, is a lot of his friends, and, you know, I've had breakfast with a lot of them and some of the younger ones that my mom and him all know and, and stuff like that, and, you know, these are pretty good guys. They are trying to make a difference. But, you know, most of them tell me the same thing. They get disgusted because, you know, they don't get to talk to the everyday people every day. They just get to see the slime every day. That's and right. So after a while, after they, while they it forget. works on you. Yeah, it works on them. And then when they stop the everyday Joe, they don't want to be screwing around with them. And if you get sassy, they get mad. And it's it's just part of their job. And yeah. But there are a lot of, don't get me wrong, there's some no good cops out there. And there's some no good SOBs in the force. But well, there are in any, yeah. in any organization, you know, but... Hopefully you can keep it uh, to two percent or below. Yeah, and uh, you know there's a lot more cops reporting UFOs these days. Yeah, well that's because uh, that's because unlike in the past, uh, recently there's been police officers who report UFOs, and lo and behold, they don't get in trouble and they don't get fired. You yeah. know, so now their their uh, compadres. Uh, they're they're likely to go ahead and report them too. It's it's a healthy thing. Speaking of that, who's got the uh, the Eddie for the truckers UFO reporting site? A friend of ours made a, a reporting site just for truckers. Uh, cool. It, it's uh, anybody. Well, he, anybody can report there, but there's a lot of truckers out on the road. And, you know, oh yeah. Give them somewhere safe to report. Um, you know, I deal with a lot of policemen. I, I'm ah, thank you. There it is. www.tufoc right dot com going blind in my old age. What can I say, guys? You know, it's hard to see. Let me make sure I got the right address here. T-U-F-O-R-C.com. There y'all go, guys. Check it out. If you've seen a UFO and you want to report it, report it there. David's a nice, caring guy, and he'll take his time and review your report, and if there's something you can do with it, he'll actually call you or contact you or email you, whatever way you need it. Uh, he's a lot nicer than I am, guys. Trust me. <laughs> he's, he's 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 nice. I'm rude. Just remember that. Don't waste my time because I'm 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 nasty. I'm I'm already considered the black sheep of ufology, so I can get away with acting like that. Uh, Jim, you've been great tonight. Uh, one more time, tell them where they can find the books, and I'll give them a quick rundown on the uh, the major titles. Oh, okay. Well, uh, of course, my first big New York Times bestseller was Crossfire: The Plot to Kill Kennedy. And uh, that's the book, if you really want to know what's going on with the Kennedy assassination, at least start with mine. Uh, there's been more recent ones, but uh, I, I, I tell you, this is all the basic stuff you need to hear. And then that led me to ask people, what do you think's the next big, deep, dark, secret government cover-up? And everybody said UFOs. So that led to uh, the uh, alien agenda. 
and then in the process, I came across the Army's remote viewing program, so I produced a book called Psy Spies, PSI Spies. It's about the uh, government's psychic warfare program. If you think that sounds too woo-woo, just read the book. You'll find out that the CIA and then the Army and then the uh, NSA, the DIA, they all got into it. Yeah, okay? we and you show on there's a, there's a couple of things I might have to bring you back on, because I was thinking about you a couple of weeks ago. You know, Jim, Jim crosses a lot of topics. Right, and then uh, that led uh, with the UFO book. You know, the little guy from the saucer always says, take me to your leader. Well, you know, that led to the question of who's our leader. Mm -hmm. So that led to who's actually running the world, and that led to Rule by Secrecy, another New York Times bestseller. And then uh, from there, I extended on from that one. Uh, and wrote the terror conspiracy, which uh, is all about 9/11 and everything that you have not heard about 9/11. And then uh, again, going back to both 9/11 and the rule by secrecy, uh, bringing it up to date, I uh, wrote the rise of the Fourth Reich. But uh, if for someone who is only wants to dabble or wants to know about a variety of these things, the new book Above Top Secret is your Primer 101. It's the place to start, and it would be a springboard to going into about 19 different conspiracies. Yeah, and you know, Jim, Jim writes, Jim's got a unique way of writing. It, it, it's not real hard. If I know some of you ufologists out there writing, it's kind of hard to follow what he's saying. Uh, and, and I've even seen in a couple of places where Jim's actually looped back around to make the point a little clearer. Uh, I guess it's places you felt like points should be clearer. Yeah, well, it's like points that I had a little trouble with. Yeah. I figured I better go back and even and, and clarify it for the reader. Yeah, and and actually that that's an excellent way to do it. You know, when I, when I do this new book about Betty and Barney Hill, I might have to get with you on it. Uh, you know, on Coast to Coast, my first very first appearance I ever did on Coast to Coast, I introduced a new theory about Betty and Barney Hill. That's what put me in the black sheep category, uh -huh. by the way. Well, I, I didn't say they weren't abductees. I, I do believe that they were both contactees. I just think that the U.S. sighting was a MILAB sighting, and what happened, the actual contact was when they lost that day in Canada, which nobody ever wants to talk about. For some uh -huh. And uh, i got to say, it's been well-received in ufology, with the exception of one or two hardcore Betty and Barney Hill people, but you know, it's actually been well-received, and, and it is a much more coherent, much better theory for what happened to him than what was originally put forth. And uh, I've actually, even some of her friends have, have contacted me in the last year and told me, you know, Joe, it does make more sense, especially since they had so many military friends and contacts to start off with. And uh, it, it is a much better theory. Well, when I, when next time you're on or next time I get a chance to talk to you or next time I see you somewhere, I'll actually uh, bring you up to speed on it. That's you, great. You, you can tell yeah, me like what you think of that. Well, yeah, I always like to get opinions from people, especially opinions from people that's been in the field as long as you have, because uh, it's it's just better. You know, you, you've done a lot of writing, you've crossed a lot of topics, you've got a good broad understanding of a lot of the stuff, and uh, you'll actually know about some of the stuff I'm talking about in the case, whereas some of the newbies will be going, "What the hell is he talking about?" Yeah, right. <laughs> Betty and Bernie Hugh. You know, yeah, who, who, who's better? We were had, matter of fact, I forgot who I had on about a couple of months back we were talking about it, and someone actually wrote in to me doing a show, actually called in on the 800 number and said, well, who is Betty and Barney Hill? And I'm, I'm thinking, how old are you? And they're like, well, like 2021. 20, I said, you must have just found out about UFOs, right? They're like, yes, yeah. I said, look up, type in Betty and Barney Hill alien abductions, and then call me back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember uh, reading uh, John Fuller's book when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Well, I was very fortunate. I got hold to uh, the original regression tapes. I got a copy of them, the whole thing. And uh, 
I remember I was talking with Kathleen Morgan one time. She said, you can't get him anymore. I said, well, I actually have a copy. She was stunned. <laughs> and I do. I actually have a copy of uh, six, either 16 or 17 tapes. Cool. And I used them. In, and the two books written at the time and, and uh, before Kathleen put her book out, but uh, the two books written about it and the actual regression tapes, and I went through it and found there's three scenarios throughout the whole entire thing. It's actually talking about three different things. And uh, they just got somehow along the line, they got mixed, because if, if uh, Betty's dreams, it says one thing. Betty's regression, it says another thing. And in her waking thoughts, it's a whole other thing. Right. And uh, when you start going through it, because, you know, Barney always said it was people always said it was men dressed in black pants, black shirts with black duck bill caps. That's what he's always said, even in the regression. And even in the regression, she Betty said that as well. Well, he so, said they were Nazis. Yeah, he yeah, well, you know, he just seen black pants and they they were probably which you know today black ops dresses that way. We didn't know that back then, but yeah. now today we actually know that. Yeah. And uh, but we didn't know that. see that's just another point. But it's like the needle in the stomach. That's that's terrestrial technology. It's like stopping them on the side of the road, five figures on the side of the road with flares pulled them over. That's typical government stuff, especially for back in the day. Yeah. Uh, that's typical the way they would have done things. Walking to the craft, walking up to the ramp, that's typical terrestrial-based stuff. That is not extraterrestrial. The pull-down maps, stuff like that, the opening drawers, that's terrestrial technology. That is not alien technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And But yet there are things that she says that would fall into alien. So I got to thinking about it. You know, the the... Uh, aliens picked her up the night before, and then they reprogrammed them because, by her own account and his own account, they said they couldn't even remember where they had breakfast that morning. And the person they asked for directions, one described as a, a Irish guy, one described as a black cop. Well, uh, you know, that's two totally different descriptions from the same people in the right. same car. Right. So that told me there they lost a whole day in Canada. That's where the alien abduction the other stuff they were describing really sounded like military things. So I think what happened is the aliens wiped their minds, the government picked them up when they crossed back into the United States, uh, did their stuff, wiped their minds, and their memories kind of got mushed together. And yeah. that's why we got the kind of coherent story we got. But when you sit there and actually pick through it and pick what's, you know, because we have abduction criteria these days. Yeah. So when we go through it and we look for the abduction criteria on what happened in the U.S., it's not there, but it is there in Canada. When we go through and look at the military material, you know, the military material, it happens to be what fits what happened in the USA. So it just made more sense to me, and it just seems to be that's what actually went on. But I, one night when I, when I got you on again, and we got a couple of hours of talking, I'll actually get into it in depth and, and let you tell me what you think about it. And uh, Yeah. Because there's quite a bit of detail to it. There's, there's things that were said and things that were done and other stuff that's involved. And uh, some of the stuff that the hypnotherapist was talking about on the tapes and uh, and. I'll tell you something else. Um, I've listened to a lot of regression tapes because, you know, my wife's a hypnotherapist. And uh, we've done several of the regressions that I've worked with other people who've done regressions like Mary Rodwell and Yvonne Smith. And when you listen to a contactee talk about an alien experience, there is this, um, I don't know how to describe it. it it's like a fear and excitement all it's over the place. Yeah, but you can feel it coming out in the tape. Yeah. When you listen to the Betty and Barney Hill tapes, this sounds like a, like, like a classic, like when you got into it with a cop or something, you know, it just has that, that fear factor that you get from terrestrials, not aliens. And, and you can actually hear it in their voices. Sure. And uh, it's a very strange thing, but it, it's not, you know, it doesn't, I would definitely say it wouldn't fit into an alien abduction, at least not that part of it. But very then, interesting. Yeah, I, I just want to tell you, that give you something to think about, because I know you do a lot of research, and you've been around a little while, and you know about the uh, case a little bit yourself. Right. So. But when you get some time, just look at it. I mean, you know, 
you just do a little comparison of what, what people consider to be military abductions and what they consider to be alienate. You Sounds look good. At, we'll yeah. do it again sometime. Oh, yeah, we will. I'll, I'll get Linda. Actually, that's two things I'd like to bring you on. One, to talk about some other conspiracy stuff, but one, to get you and Richard on to do the 911, which I'll just shut up because, you know, y'all probably are much more well-versed than the 911 conspiracies than I am. See, I'm smart. I give way to people I know who's done more research. <laughs> well, I don't, you know. Well, that's why. That's why. Yeah, I probably couldn't hold up to you. You've done more research on Benny and Barney Hill than I have. Oh yeah. Well, that that's yeah. That's that's a given. But you know, everybody's got their stuff they do. And, and that's right. And that's that's another nice thing about ufology. Everybody seems to have gotten their little corners and started specializing and picking in. And I, I noticed that the quality of information out today seems to be quite a bit better than it was even 10 years ago. That's true. And, uh, and it's but, because but people But keep like in mind, medicine. too, when everybody gets specialized, sometimes they you can't see the stuff. forest That's with true. the trees. That's why you got to have people looking in from the outside. you got to have somebody like me that just kind of looks at the big picture. <laughs> yeah, and says, what the hell are you talking about? Well, you missed this whole section here, dude. <laughs> Come yeah, on, really. let's back up. But no, that's true. That, it really is. It really is. But again, Jim, I want to tell you thank you. Yeah, see, we, okay. we, we, we well, went about 15. It's been great. And uh, one more time, the website for the books. Uh, my website is jimmars.com, uh, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S, and or you can get any of my books at any bookstore or, of course, Amazon or, I don't know, just wherever you can find books. If they don't have them, you can order one. And they do sound like great Christmas presents for me, people, so they're not real expensive and they're good reading, they're good entertainment, uh, depending on your reading abilities, anywhere from, like, my wife who reads a 500-page novel in about a half hour to someone like me to take about a day and a half to read the damn thing. Well, Joe, I think you'll agree. You, if, you've seen a copy of Bub Top Secret, right? Yes, it's yes. really pretty easy yes. to read. It's very open, and, and all the chapters are short. It's uh, it's really a pretty quick, easy read. It, it is. And, uh, see, I like books like that, like the one that uh, Katerina Wilson wrote. Um, those books are easy for me to read. Some of these other ones with this little print and these, yeah, where they reiterate things 50 times. I'm like, come on, you made your point on the first time. Let's move on. <laughs> that, that's nice and like me. Yeah, already, I already know that. Tell me something I don't yeah, know. Tell me something I don't know. Come on, let's let's get this story moving along here. That's it. But Jim, right, again. Joe. Well, thanks a bunch. Oh, and thank you. You were fantastic. And uh, this archive will be up in about 15 minutes. Great. Thanks now. Good evening. You too. Thank you, Jim. Bye.